All right. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk About It. Tonight is a very special episode. I am going to be interviewing for the first time in a one-on-one setting a wonderful filmmaker, writer, producer, Shay. Shay, introduce yourself to the people. Hi. Uh, so my name is Shay Van Lu. Um, I'm a filmmaker. I'm a marketer. I just graduated this year from uh, Columbia College, Chicago. Um, and I just got done shooting my first independent short film called Rent Boy. <laughs> uh, dear listeners, this episode is going to contain talks of sexuality, talks of sexual activity, talks of capitalism, probably eating disorders, uh, lots of trigger warnings moving forward. Please make sure you are 18 plus as always, and please be kind to yourself. And if you know you can't handle it, please step away. being said i'm so excited to get into this let me just like um so for you dear listeners let me just tell you i found shay on tiktok i was just scrolling through my little eclectic queer ass feed and i get hit with these images of um and like the 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 film quality was very reminiscent of like 80s like 90s like almost that like vintage porn sort of like filter like the lighting was really good and it was certainly better quality but it had that it had that feeling to it and like and Shay was just like telling us all about like hey like this is what this film is about and if everybody who sees this gives me a dollar like we can make this fucking happen like let's do it and I was like I have to talk to them <laughs> and I think I I think I commented on that video and I was like hey I'd love to like have you on my podcast yeah <laughs> and then you messaged me back like later that day and I was like uh amazing <laughs> so like tell us about like tell us about Rent Boy like give us the give us the premise of it before we get into like why we made it right so Rent Boy the log line a gay porn director must provide fresh meat to a hungry stockbroker, but when he preys upon a distant childhood friend, the last thing he expects is falling in love. <laughs> My favorite is is the tagline for it. Oh, and sell the body, feed was, the soul. Yes, it's so <laughs> good. It's so evocative, and it's like, ugh, it is so good, and so like. We talked a little bit about, like, in the preliminary meeting, like, you know, when you look at this, uh, when you look at the promos that I saw and, like, you hear the name, like, it automatically seems like, oh, like, this is just another hypersexual queer film. And it's so much more than that, though. So, mm -hmm. like, what were the main things that you wanted to say in this movie and why did you choose this lens? for it mm. so i wanted to talk about masculinity in rent boy and i wanted to talk about masculinity in a way that isn't typically discussed and i find it's because i was actually just talking with noah earlier noah is my partner about how i grew up kind of adjacently masculine as like an only child in the mountains kind of by myself very emotionally isolated and how i'm able to relate to kind of that classic male experience 
and um, also looking at it through the lens of just like capitalism and survival and like hyper masculinity. And because uh, I also work in the gay community that I work for the Chamber of Commerce in the North Halstead area. People know it as Boys Town and whatnot. Um, yes. So I'm very I'm very much like up in that scene and I see a lot of things and I want to talk about a lot of things with it. And, and you know, Rent Boy is a very evocative film, but it is filmed in a way that is so visually conservative that it's it's quite surprising and it's very suggestive in good ways. And it is truly not, I would not say that it's like objectifying in any way besides it being like, it feels almost much more like the female gaze if you ask me. It's more about romanticizing the love of the two main characters as opposed to sort of the whole world that they're in. The whole film is just this constant juxtaposition between tenderness and brutality. Um, and sort of just showing the, the whole scope and the different lengths that people have to go to to try and survive or they're trying to find happiness, trying to find meaning. I mean, there's – oh, my God. There's just there's so much that goes into this and that for people to kind of take a first glance and be like, is this just a hypersexual trauma film? I would say no. And you're – I'm sorry, but I think you're a little stupid and a little dense if that's all you think it is on first glance. Like there is so much more to it because the whole film is about these characters' relationships. It symbolizes the journey of masculinity. Um, it's very complex. I put two years of yeah. work into it. You know, it's it's so much more than just like, um, let's just have gay men kissing each other with their shirts off. It's it's right. <laughs> like, you know? There's and we have so much of that, right? And even even when it's even when it's not, you know, something like not another gay movie or Bear City, like these these really like just like slaps uh, like they're 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 not genuinely slapstick but like it feels surrealist like so much queer cinema especially like early 2000s like that's when we first started really getting any kind of queer cinema was Mm -hmm. the early to mid aughts and so like all of that is kind of this like surrealist like eating out eating out to like all of those films right. which i'm sure you're familiar with yeah. and listener if you're not don't bother with the number three and four <laughs> <laughs> eating out one and two is all you need to know and like even that you don't really need um right and like but all of it is really these these movies that are that are just kind of us getting to make fun of the stereotype that straight people think that we are mm-hmm. and it but because it is made by us and for us it's it's a little bit more like we're in on the joke right but like i'm tired of joking yes uh, yes <laughs> like, i'm very much tired of joking and there's there's so many things especially as as it relates to capitalism right mm-hmm. so like this is a whole like takedown on capitalism and the and the way that we and the ways that we perform masculinity in order to further ourselves through that mm-hmm. and th- there's a very particular flavor that that takes on particularly in the cis white gay community mm-hmm. which is like the lens through which these characters experience the world absolutely part of the reason why all i mean all the characters in the film you know the the whole intent is that i'm making this short film so that way i can make the feature because there is so much i can dig into with a feature film but i figured starting with a very strong short just to kind of really punch everyone in the face and say hey look at this is going to be way more effective than trying to go whole hog with a feature right away 
Absolutely. Um, but yeah, doing that lens of like the cis white gay male was really important for this film because that's what I'm critiquing. And mm-hmm. all and all what's nice about Rempoy is that it's a queer film that's not about being queer. Every character in the film is like undeniably queer or gay in some way, but they don't have to be hyper-coded into it. They don't have to be campified in order to make that clear. They are very much men in the early 80s and they just happen to be gay. And, 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 (laughs) you know, that's, and and I think that's kind of refreshing because as someone who grew up as kind of, you know, very much a closeted bisexual woman, like I really only saw queerness as something that was like, like super duper intense and and like comedic and, and flamboyant and very flamboyant and, yeah. and it was just stuff that I didn't really relate to because I I find myself to be a rather brooding person and yeah. you know so it's like Rent Boy there's so much of my own personality in Rent Boy especially with the main character William like the the main character William who is the porn director is I I he's literally just like a hyper masculine manifestation of myself without my traumas being addressed and treated and sort of like worsened. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know? no, but like, I, I totally, I totally get that. There, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with the show The Magicians, but mm-hmm. uh, so good. Uh, it's a book it. series by Lev Grossman, um, and it's a it was uh, adapted to sci-fi, and it was mm. so good that sci-fi made it made a full five seasons wow. in sci-fi, and you know that's rare for the sci-fi originals. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Because they just don't get the and like and that's just they like they just don't get the budget for that stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's a that's another thing. Um, but yeah, the main uh, well, one of the main secondary characters because the show actually follows like uh, Quint or the books follow Quentin, but in the show it kind of evolved into this sort of ensemble piece. And Elliot, I've always said like I identify with Elliot very heavily. He is very much me. If I didn't spend years in and out of therapy and I didn't get the tools to know how to communicate what I was going through and what I was feeling and what I needed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's something very powerful in that to be able to sit back and realize like, this is who I could have been. Yes. And like, I'm so thankful that I'm not, but like now let's critique that. Let's unpack that. Yeah. I think that's really fucking cool. Um, because it is in the eighties, I do have to ask, like, and I, I'm, I'm sure the answer is no, but I got to mm-hmm. ask, like, are we, are we like pre AIDS pandemic? Are we not like talking about the AIDS pandemic? Does it like, yeah. I know there's, there's, that's, that's a whole thing. <laughs> and I know like we did, we did a feature, we did a short film to get to the feature. I know yeah. it's a whole other thing. It's a whole other thing. Like it takes place specifically. I kind of have it in mind taking, taking place in like 1983, specifically kind of oh, okay, like yeah. early summer, late spring, 1983. So it's kind of like, <laughs> I was talking with my old boss who, um, he's in his fifties. He's, he's a white gay man, but he was in act up protests at the white house and everything. Super activist in the eighties. He was awesome. His name was Kevin love him to death and I asked him because I was writing this film back when he was working at my work with me and I asked him like what was up with you know the AIDS epidemic during this time like in 83 how was it and he was like it was sleepy I remember mm-hmm. it was sleepy at that time he said it didn't really start to go off and get ever in everybody's heads until I think it was Brock Hudson had it yeah. in 85 yeah. and that's kind of the marker of where that went really big it was still pretty sleepy um, in general. So, and, and especially in the short film, like that is, it is, there's just it's a big topic. <laughs> that's and a huge I was, topic. I was, I, I knew the answer was going to be no. And I was hoping the answer was going to be yeah, no. Right. Because it's like, that's, that's another thing is that like, not every 
period film that involves gay men needs to be about AIDS, right? Right, right. Like, right? And, and especially when we have so much that does it so well. Like, yes, absolutely. You know, and especially as being younger people, like we are, like you're, I think you're younger than me and like I'm yeah. still young and sprightly. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, did I just call myself a fairy? No. <laughs> No, but, um, no, but like we're young people and like Mm -hmm. our relationship to AIDS is incredibly different to what theirs would have been. And our reality with AIDS is incredibly different. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, for us to play around in that period and to do things like that, like we need, like what our focus needs to be is exactly where is kind of exactly where you have it. Like we need to either focus on like the culture pre AIDS and like what that looked like and, and what that shaped, because what we can really talk about, you know, there's, there's potential, you know, in a feature film for, you know, introducing lesbian characters and showing the tension that there was Mm -hmm. between gay men and lesbian women. Like Mm -hmm. we were kind of awful to each other. (laughs) Oh my God. Especially butch lesbians. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. It's fucking wild. And so, yeah, like I'm, I, I'm super excited. And like another thing, like just to like, like this is a proven formula, like doing the short film to feature film track, like that's a proven formula, especially in, queer circles like i can point to several that i know of and so like i'm super excited to like see it like i I, like i'm like i'm i'm so ready for this for like this to happen and um (laughs) yeah like tell me more about like your writing process like what did Mm. the what did research look like for you because you know you can grow up adjacent to something but that's very different to being in it Mm -hmm. absolutely I did a lot of research for this film, and I did as much as I could at the time. I started writing this when I was a junior at Columbia, getting ready to do kind of like a thesis sort of film or whatever. And I was like, I want to do something about masculinity and men because it's something that I care a lot about and it affects me a lot. And I think a lot about this because I also have a lot of I have a lot of male friends. I have a lot of men in my life that I care about very much. And I've throughout my whole life have had very personal conversations with them about their experiences, men, and what do they feel their expectations are and how does that hurt, hurt them? Blah, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. And I'm going through and I'm thinking, you know, what's, what's a different way we can look at masculinity. What's the way we can look at masculinity and men sort of being more of like a victim of this system instead of just solely oppressors, you know, what, like, can we, can Mm -hmm. we look at this situation and see it both ways And, um, and so I started with the idea of like male sex workers, because that's something we don't ever talk about or see a lot in media at all. I remember thinking about that, like, shit, yeah, there's, there's, there's male sex workers. Like, and you know, we all, there's tons. (laughs) And whenever we talk about sex workers, I mean, your immediate thought is always like women, right. Or just femme Mm -hmm. bodies of some type, right. Or trans people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you don't really think about men in that way because it's like, you know, how dare your brain think of, you know, men as anything less and powerful you know what i mean like your subconscious right. monkey because brain, how could right? you how could you commodify a man's body like right? how could you do that like there's right? no, uh, so that's this. where it started so i went and i started doing a lot of research that was back in you know how do people you know get into the sex industry especially in that era and turns out a lot of it came from like family sex trafficking stuff you know i found some pretty gruesome oh, yeah. old school things that was just like the landscape of sex work in the in the 80s and earlier versus today uh, especially in the queer community way 
different, so different. And and yeah. that's something I kind of run into sort of like problems with with modern day sex workers when I'm trying to talk about this because they're not super clued in on the past, but they know their modern yeah. day thing. And they're like, well, how does this portray this or that? And I'm like, it's not about today. It's about back then. This is a different time. And it's important to talk about this time. We got to know where we came from so we know where we're going, right? Right. And so it started with that kind of a thing. And I was trying to find stuff in Chicago and it was, it was hard. It's still hard. I still have way more research to do for the feature. I did enough for the short film, but for the feature, yeah, I, I have like so many more living examples of like people who were alive in that time of, of like lesbians, gay men, whoever, and people that did house music in the different clubs and stuff. Like yeah. I have so many more examples and people that I can talk to now than when I was starting to write the short film back in like 2019, spring 2019 is when I started. And, and like another layer of it, like it makes it so hard because if you were doing sex, if you were queer and doing sex work in the eighties, the likelihood that those like that you caught AIDS astronomical. Yeah, absolutely. Astronomical. So it's really hard to find those real life people who did that work back then, yeah. especially like queer people who did that work back then because yeah. they've either put it behind them and they're not talking about it yep. and they don't want to relive it because mm-hmm. like it's, it's traumatic. It is. Absolutely. Like, or they're not here. Exactly. And it's also, especially specific to the area of Chicago, there's not a lot recorded out there. I've been oh, no. I've been in like random ass local little bookshops and have found maybe a couple of things, but it's not specific to the exact era and place that I'm looking at, you know? It's it's hard to get into the history of early 80s gay Chicago. It's really difficult. And that all goes back to, you know, the erasure that we face. Yes. Like, it is, it, it's easier to find stuff on 80s queer culture in New York. Yep. Because of what was going on yes. in New York. And because people in New York refused to be erased. And even still there, there's still so much that only like exists in people's homes, in people's private diaries, in people's minds. Yep. Because they actively try to erase queer people just like they actively try to erase pretty much any yeah. historical <laughs> contributions of any marginalized group. Exactly. So it's it's been it's been difficult and it's and it's tough because a lot of people today are sort of very ready to jump at your throat when you don't have like absolutely perfect representation or perfect mm-hmm. research. It's kind of like what I'm trying to do, it's like, have you done this research before? Do you have any idea how hard it is to do this stuff? And I've watched mm-hmm. documentaries and actually the, I think I mentioned this in our in our preliminary conversation, but the the tagline for the film sell the body feed the soul comes from a documentary that was made in the czech republic in like 1993 called body without soul it's on amazon prime you should totally go watch it it is harrowing but it is phenomenal and it's about you know young rent boys and like this middle-aged porn director and stuff and a lot of the a lot of rent boy it's sort of mood and tones was inspired by that documentary because it gave me such a a good bite of like this is the kind of kind of situation I want to talk about. And the film itself, oddly enough, is not even about sex work. It's just kind of a stage upon which, you know, it's more of like just these characters' occupations and we only see it, you know, maybe one scene or two scenes for each character that they're doing anything with it. The rest of it is just the relationships of the main characters in the film. But it's still important to know about you know, the sex work of that era because it's like that's that definitely influences the film because that's what these characters are doing. But it's like 
it is so hard to find the information. I had to go through and find random like podcasts. Like there was this one really cool one I found. Uh, it was an interview with this guy named Stephen Tushin, who used to own the Bijou Theater, which um, it, it was this this like uh, I don't know. Do you know about it? I do know the Bijou ah! Theater. Yes! <laughs> yes, but tell play Pokedex for all of our dear listeners. Let's let's let them know what the Bijou Theater is. Yes. So it was originally it was like this art house cinema sort of thing mm-hmm. back in the sixties. Yeah. Very and, very much kind of like a word of mouth place. Yeah. Like it was it was very much one of those sorts of situations. Yeah. yeah. Some of the stars in, in that era and kind of later were hanging out there. I remember I remember one of the names that he mentioned in the interview he t- talked like Peter Boyle went there and stuff like that, but that was mm-hmm. before it became sort of like the Bijou Theater, which sort of became yes. a uh, playground and cinematic playground for gay men of the era. And it had like... Uh, I remember he's in the interview he's saying they had like sex rooms upstairs and he opened up a garden in the back and stuff and it was just it was playtime there and it was also it was also you know a, a erotic theater as well yeah. cinema theater and um, it was just so fascinating how it came to be and he talks about the different police raids that happened and how he came here on a bike from New York and started started like took over the theater and stuff like that it's a great uh, podcast I'd have to send you the link yes but, um, please do but you know just sort of learning about that hidden history and now and now what used to be the Bijou Theater is like some fucking, you know, white girl modern urban farmhouse like decor store or something. And it's sad because it closed in 2015. And I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. You know? I knew that it had closed back then, but like, it's so sad, right? Because so many other, like, these plantation fucking homes are allowed to exist in their original fucking, like, whatever, whatever. And used as wedding venues? <laughs> I know it just blows my mind. It blows but, my mind. <laughs> these things that are like genuine parts of like culture and history that aren't detrimental to an entire like race of people are erased. Right. And it's it, and and they 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 tried repeatedly to uh bring down the Stonewall Inn and then mm-hmm. the just the people who own Stonewall and like once the once uh, the gay um, chamber of commerce became a thing, or the queer chamber of commerce became a thing, it was like absolutely not. You yeah. will not be touching the Stonewall Inn. Mm-hmm. But like, but back to what you were saying about police raids, like that is another reason that our histories don't exist, and that's another reason that we like don't know about these things is because the the people who did keep records of us and like and and the family members, uh, therapists, all of these people, like police raids would happen. And family members or therapists would burn their records so that you could not find these queer people and round them up. Right. And, like, amazing move in solidarity, but also, like... At what cost? <laughs> these people don't exist anymore, right? right? And, like, and it's just, it's so incredibly, like, sad and fraught and, like... And I think also, like, people need to learn how to, like, give graces. Yes. Um, Like, people are out here ready to suspend all sorts of disbelief for fucking Star Trek, Star Wars, Mm -hmm. and and the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., like, any of this stuff, right? But then when we as creatives and artists want to tell a story that is grounded. Yes. But want to want to use a backdrop of the Mm -hmm. 80s or want to do, you know, this or that. Like, you know, the the point of the film isn't, oh, queer culture in the 80s completely. That's what we're talking. That's not that's not the point. of the film. That's not the point of the film. 
Not at all. <laughs> that's a part of the film. That's like, a, you know, that's definitely a little part it's, of it. It's definitely a part of the film, but like it also like <laughs> because that's what informs the way we are today, right? Yes. Because in the in the 80s is when we were really just now and like you really couldn't be like open open yeah but the 80s is really the first time that we started to be able to be like peeking our toes out the door Mm -hmm. for a long stretch of time it was the the motorcycle clubs without the motorcycles right yes (laughs) the bathhouses because like that's the thing is like bathhouse like i don't if you don't know what a bathhouse is dear listener they started in like ancient Greece and maybe a little bit before that, and and they were places for men to go and have sex with other men, and they haven't really changed since then. Mm-hmm. But like <laughs> bathhouses first became a thing, specifically like the Turkish style bathhouse that we still have in America, first really became a thing in like the twenties, and it wasn't really a thing m- until like. Or maybe they first became a thing in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a thing until like the 60s and 70s that queer men really started to openly have sex with each other. Yeah. Back then in the 50s, like it was relegated to like private stalls. Yes. But then once we started moving into the 60s and 70s, like that's when it became like this was for gay men. Mm-hmm. And it was because bathhouses were popular because they were members only establishments and you were not allowed to like bring anything back there with you yep. you you paid a monthly membership nobody knew your name very discreet you would go there you would put all your stuff in a locker and you would roam yes or roam and so like yeah <laughs> a little bit of both uh but yeah and so like that's why bathhouses became so popular and that's why they're still a part of our culture today like, they're mm-hmm. certainly not as large because we just do that at the bar now apparently it, yeah i guess so uh, <laughs> if you've been to the eagle girl <laughs> um but yeah like um it's it's very interesting to like look at those things and like these are the kinds of things and this is the culture that shaped you know mask for mask mm-hmm. and no femmes no fats like that the, the bathhouse the bath house culture yeah and like the like hyper masculinity of like the 80s is what still informs these dl like Mm -hmm. trade type dudes right and these like discreet like it's like bro like yeah no and and on the hyper masculine stuff like that's what i find sort of is one of the most fascinating things with sort of gay culture I went and did a lot of research and I got a lot of visual inspiration from Tom of Finland. I love Tom of Finland. I think his art's incredible. I I remember watching, there was actually a European drama biographical film done about him and it's yes, wonderful. There it's was. very good. It's really, really it's, good. It's wonderful. It's really well done. It's, um, and I just was so enamored with the concept of like gay men sort of kind of like fighting back at the system and like sodomizing these hyper-masculine symbols of power and just kind of like really sticking it to the man in like a really cool way. And I and I love that concept. And I think that's a really interesting thing about masculinity. And I kind of feel like over the years that looking at it in that way got kind of lost in terms of like now it's just about being hyper-masculine instead of like it's yeah. like doing it to – you know what I mean? Like, yes, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, like it's – it's it, and it's because the like the children don't read and yes. the children aren't 
taught, right? Yes. And when I say children, dear listener, I do not mean legitimate children. I mean <laughs> gabies. I yes. mean people recently coming to their queerness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and and it's hard, right? Because I don't want to be like, oh, as soon as you recognize you're queer, go look at erotic art. Like right, that's yeah. not what I want to say to anybody because like that really fucked me up. Like yes. when I was trying to figure out my own queerness. Um, because I was made fun of and beaten up for being queer before Mm. I even knew what that was. And, you know, this is back in the early mid aughts. And so I go, you know, what is gay? And the first thing I'm faced with is porn. Mm -hmm. Like that is what Google thinks of queerness or what Google thought. It's definitely better now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the first thing that I was faced with was, erotica Mm -hmm. and straight up pornography yeah and so like i'm not saying oh as soon as you recognize that you're queer you need to go look at (laughs) part right but no but when you are looking at and this really goes for anybody Mm -hmm. but when you're looking at porn you need to be thinking about what's informing it yes especially when you're looking at pornographic and erotic art yep because so often like unless it's like hentai and stuff like that but like so often your prolific artists aren't doing it for nothing they're not they're not drawing this picture just because they think it looks good like tom of fenland like chose to take on hyper masculinity and he chose to do that because you know queer men were told they couldn't be that and queer men were told like this is what you need to be and if you're this you won't be this and so that was the purpose of tom of finland's work it was to it was to celebrate queerness and 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 sort of give a big fuck you to what you think masculinity is supposed to mean for or about anyone right and Rempway does that same thing honestly like all the the main characters in the film they're all like they're hyper masculine but they're not aggressive apes you know but they are very man and in a way that i find to be very beautiful and interesting and like sure it's sexy but it's not objectifying because you know they're people at the end of the day and in the film all the characters are um so we got we have the three main characters we've got william who is the porn director simon who is the sort of gay boy all-american love interest and then you have richard who is a big bad daddy stockbroker um, you know, the, these are the characters and their relationships. Each character kind of represents um, a different step in the journey of masculinity where Simon is very much like this ingenue type of character, especially in the short film. And if you don't know what an ingenue is, it's typically a, a, a female stereotype, not, maybe not stereotype, but like trope where it's like somebody that's very sweet and innocent and like has childlike wonder and is just very beautiful and pure. And Simon's that way for a very particular reason because Simon kind of represents, I think, the young boy that is in so many like male identifying people is just kind of a very pure human love is a loving person is caring is intimate in positive ways, you know, and wants to build connections genuinely. Then you have the main character of William, who is like this disillusioned teenager caught, you know, one foot, one foot in the grave, one foot out of the grave. You know what I mean? He's like in between two worlds. He's being pulled every which way in terms of going after his dreams and passions and being a bit of a softer person and just wanting to have a life full of love versus I need to survive. And what what does it mean to survive? It means being top dog, making that money, throwing everybody Mm -hmm. I know under the bus if that's what it takes to get on top, which leads us to Richard, who is this fully realized adult male. And it's just... 
a classic successful businessman, especially in terms of like the eighties. Right. He's, he is, he is got sex appeal. He's sassy. He is successful. He's rich. He fuck you. You know, like he is the actor I have. His name is Jeff Reno. He did an absolutely fantastic job. He's basically my cool uncle now. Love him to death. All three of my actors were all, I'm very close with all of them. We all became very close over the course of the film. And um, just to see them all really bring these characters to life. And we, and we go through and see this journey of masculinity and sort of see this cycle Mm-hmm. perpetuated by men like this system of survivalism perpetuated by men and that's another reason why all the characters in the film are all men because i didn't want any fucking scapegoats no scapegoats yeah. it is a yeah. cycle that that men perpetuate with other men it's a harmful cycle men are hurting other men that's the point that's and the point I, and like that's the thing that like that's the like open secret that like Everybody outside of cis men recognize. And I'm not saying there are no cis men that recognize this, Correct. but like I'm somebody of a, a trans femme experience. I know mm-hmm. I have a beard right now, fuck off. Uh, <laughs> but like I, I'm a non-binary individual. I use mm-hmm. they them pronouns. But I was raised and socialized as a boy. Yep. And like, so my view of things, like I have a very like broad spectrum of views on things, because you know, I I I grew up under certain pressures and having certain things expected of me and having certain things being beaten into me. But I also grew up like seeking comfort and finding belonging with women. Yes. And so, you know, I kind of grew up in, in both of these worlds. And while I don't, while I obviously don't understand the, the pressures of being raised and socialized as a woman, like I know what they are. Because, like, I was raised among them and I've spent the time to educate myself and listen. Yes. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but yeah, so, like, growing up in this male experience, like, yeah, it it is a cycle of violence that we perpetuate on one another as much as the outside world. And and so many men Mm -hmm. act out and so many men, like, are... I don't want to say violent, but like so many men have these verbose and aggressive reactions to Mm -hmm. things and they don't understand why. And it's because you're not like talking about what you're going through and you're not processing your traumas. You're just picking up and moving on because that's what you've been told you're supposed to do as a man. This is where capitalism really comes into play. Because when I talk to my beloved boys, uh, they feel like, their worth is equivalent to their economic output being mm-hmm. provider, you know, and that is so toxic because that just makes you into a robot and that you're not allowed to have a human experience. And so when you go through and you're only, you're told that your only worth in life is how much money you can make, how much profit you can produce. Mm-hmm. What's that going to do to you as a human, right? How is that going to make you treat other people? How's that going to make you see other people? How's it going to make you see women, other men? Like, right. <laughs> and that's, what's so interesting because like, when we look at, when we look at those social pressures of men and like, especially like with capitalism and things like that, like, with like women and, the, and, and, and it's shifting, mm-hmm. but like still the overwhelming majority of people, like they expect women to want children. They yeah. expect women to at some point become a life, a life bringer. And like, while that is perfectly worthy and beautiful and we respect and love that, like it's not every woman's calling. Yep. It's not every woman's desire. Exactly. And, and for some women it's not possible. Yep. And like that, 
is fine. Mm -hmm. But then, so you take those same pressures that women feel surrounding that, and then that's what men feel about their economic, like, about providing. Yes. And that's what they feel about, like presenting strength as well because that's a great comparison yeah i think that's super (laughs) great i think that's so true and it's and it's also like when you're you're put in that state when it comes to capitalism that i need to make money i need to survive and i need to provide Mm -hmm. you get very survivalistic fuck i feel survivalistic right now where it's like you do whatever it takes to succeed that's what you get taught that's sort of you know you get taught this false lie that if you sacrifice everything, you sell your soul to this system, you will reap the rewards. And really what you end up with is maybe, maybe, if you're lucky, you'll get a fat bank account, but you will be a soulless person. And more often than not, what you end up with is mediocre and you are left empty because even the things that you want to seek joy in, you don't have time for because you don't have the energy for it Right? because you have either divorced yourself mm-hmm. from the truth that you deserve and need freedom of expression and, and freedom to just explore things that have nothing to do with making money. Like you deserve and need outlets that have nothing to do with providing anything but comfort and joy for yourself. Yes, absolutely. And, but and because you like forget that, you feel guilty for even resting. Yeah. Even resting you feel guilty for. Yes. And it's like that's not okay and like seeking seeking fulfillment in something other than, you know, being able to meet this deadline like Mm -hmm. that should be the most fulfilling thing for you no it shouldn't no (laughs) (laughs) and it's like all that stuff is exactly the kind of thing that rent boy is about thematically that is the big fat theme if you sit and you watch the film and you think two seconds you go oh shit it's anti-capitalistic and it's talking about the patriarchy and how it harms all of us and especially Mm -hmm. men and i and that's that's really what rent boy is about because i feel like you know there's times where i've pitched the film in class and stuff like that and people are ready to be like you know they're like they got their their checklist on you know is it properly queer and representing sex workers correctly that's not what this is fucking about that's not what this is about you know i'm not here to comment on all gay men i'm not here to comment on all sex workers all right like this is very this i mean the story is about a gay porn director in the 80s at the turn when you know the porn industry is starting to go on the decline and stuff like that and vhs and everything you know it's like it's taking place at this era at a very specific time and you know the when and in the early 80s, that's when we started switching over to that super hyper consumerist culture. That's also yeah. important for this film. And I mean, that's not even fully reflected in the short film. That's going to be in the feature. You know, there's going to be so much more shit in the feature that's going to be oh, on yeah. these themes. But like, that's the, the core of it about survivalism and sacrificing yourself and your love and your passion and everything that makes you a fucking human being that enjoys being on this motherfucking earth. You yeah. sacrifice because you you get told that you need to give that up so you can just survive. And that's what's so fucked. And that's what Rent Boy is about. And that's why it ends like it does. Rent Boy is a neo-noir. It is a tragedy, but it's not trauma porn. It right. is it is a it is a very emotionally complex film. There are funny moments, there are intense moments, there's sad moments, there's happy moments, there's cute moments, there's sexy moments. I think I've covered damn near every fucking emotion in this film. <laughs> that's what I wanted because myself. Yeah, because there's a, a whole human experience. Yes. Yeah, 
I always think, you know, what, what makes a good film is not so much that, you know, oh, it's a good story or it's this or that. It's how engaging it is, you know? How mm-hmm. engaging are your characters? How engaged is your audience in the emotion and stuff like that? I always think about when I'm making a film, what is the roller coaster of emotions that we're experiencing? Because when we're watching something, we don't want to feel one way the entire time, just like in life. Mm-hmm. We want to experience a lot of different things. And that's very much what's in Rent Boy. And it's 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 something that I think is going to be unique because it is I I've never really heard of any other queer film that is a complete queer cast of characters that is a neo-noir. It may be one of the first of its kind. And I think the way Rent Boy is, where it's a queer film that goes beyond needing to be about queer tropes, I feel like, you know, and I hope I'm not just shooting my own own horn here, but I think it's going to be that's going to be the next step for queer cinema and queer representation is that we accept that we're people and we're allowed to be complex and more than just our queerness. Not to say that, yes. you know, we need to minimize our queerness, but it's, no, but like, it's like, I have <laughs> always said, I have always said, I am, I've said it on this podcast before. I've said it to my friends. I've said it to the children, mm-hmm. like your sexuality is not the most important thing about you. Mm -hmm. It is not the most interesting thing about you. It is an intrinsic part of you and you deserve to express it and experience it and have it celebrated. Yes. But it is not the most interesting or most important thing about you. Absolutely. Because when you do make that the most interesting thing, I think you're doing exactly what the system wants you to do, especially if mm-hmm. you're a femme body. You're objectifying yourself more. And it's like there's something to be said when, you know, you're you're consenting to objectifying yourself in this or that or whatever. But it's like you're still exploiting yourself. And it's like you you're allowed to be so much more than that. And that's another message I have with with Rent Boy is that these characters are clearly more than their jobs. They are clearly more than their sexuality. You know, these are guys in the 80s that like Wham! Or they like listening to Billy Idol. Or, you know, they draw. Or they collect vintage, um, you know, <laughs> pictorials and stuff like that. Or they like, yeah. like um, I don't know, random records and, and stuff on the wall. I mean, we, we had a lot of really cool set design stuff for this film. Um, but, like, it, there's just, you know, they play Atari and things like that, you know? Stop, not Atari! <laughs> Incredible! Yeah, literally, so the, the, the main character, William, so my actor that plays him, his name's Robert Morvey. He and I are also co-workers and really good friends. I love him to death. Um, his father is an avid vintage video game collector. That that man's insane. And he has an old Atari that we're able to use in the film. And granted, you know, the characters, we don't have a scene where they're playing it together or anything, but it's just there is set deck, you yeah, know? And that's kind of, that. that's the beauty of filmmaking is like, how much story can you get across in just the image? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's what, that's one thing that I love. Like that's, I'm one of those people that like, when I like something or when something has grabbed me, like I like to go back and watch it again, especially like once I know it and then I can be like, okay, now let me look for other things. Like, let me look for, let me look for set pieces. Let me look for subtleties. Like there's, there's so much, especially like when you have not only really good writing, but when really good writing meets really good acting like actors will make choices that the writer didn't even think were possible but like once an actor sits in something and they get into a character like they will bring something to you and you're like oh my god yes this makes so much sense yeah Rent Boy Boy was highly collaborative because not only am I like the director and executive producer I did write it and let me tell Mm -hmm. you the first couple drafts of Rent Boy were rough 
I'm pretty sure I burnt them. They're so bad. But that, you got to start somewhere, right? Yeah, and absolutely. I, and I wrote it over the course of being, you know, I, I was in a toxic relationship and mm. got out of that. The pandemic, I almost killed myself. I went through all kinds of crazy shit to the point now where this summer I was finally able to shoot it and get it done. And the writing process, my actors were a huge part in improving the writing process, especially when it came to character motivation and dialogue and stuff, because no director should think that they're the the most omniscient or omnipotent person in existence when it comes to writing characters because your actors, if they're good enough, are going to have some ideas about some things that you didn't even consider, especially when you're a woman writing about male characters, right? And my actors were able to bring so much necessary flavor to the characters that I could not have pictured without them basically and i'm so thankful for them because they and it was just such a fun process to do i mean rehearsals we rehearsed for for i like doing a lot of rehearsing i think Mm -hmm. that um because in film time is money right when you're on set you you want to get shit done you want to be like well what if we try unless if it's a fucking stroke of genius like come on i mean you have a very limited amount of time film is a huge fucking especially when you're funding it yourself oh my god (laughs) and like and that like that's the thing that like and but like before i like go down that rabbit hole i i i want to circle back like and 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 you were talking about like directors and writers like you know have to be open to hearing from their actors and like because here's here's my thought on it, and and this is coming from somebody. I've been an actor. I've been a costume designer. Mm-hmm. I've been a makeup artist. I've been uh, I've I've written like not screenplays, but I I I write. And so like the thing is, is like when you're when you're writing and you're having those things in mind, you have a story in mind. Yep. And while one hundred percent you want these characters to be full realized people. Especially sometimes when it comes to dialogue, you think more about how the dialogue services the story rather than how it services the character. Exactly. And so there are sometimes things that like writers will put into a script and the characters and the the actors will get it into their hands and they'll, they'll be playing these characters and they'll be like, yep. They don't speak this way. <laughs> like, what they the don't fu- talk yeah. like this. Like, why this does it doesn't sound make like sense. Pros, you know, like, what the fuck? Yeah. This is too poetic or whatever, this or that. And mm-hmm. completely, like, and we were even making dialogue changes while we were on set about to shoot, like, the next scene, which is, like, totally fine to do. Like, yeah, and, I, and um, that happens all the time. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's because it's one of those strokes of genius that it's like, fuck, that's perfect. Like, for example, yeah. um, one of the lines that happens in the last scene of the film, it's when uh, Richard comes in and he's talking to William, and William's kind of trying to stand up against Richard and uh, Richard kind of makes a point to him I, I wrote something originally and it wasn't as good but my actor Jeff's like what if I say something like this he's like what if I said now let's get something straight all this shit for what it's worth um, is because of me um, God, what did, he, what did he say I'm trying to remember the line it was, it was really good it was that and he said um, I fund your sad fucking life I own you, sunshine. And it was just like, right, right? And Jeff came up with that line. And fuck, it was good. Because Jeff, he grew up as a teen in like the 80s and stuff. So he knows all about that shit. He was on the house scene here in Chicago. He was oh, a bad kid. Damn. Did all the yeah. fucking drugs. Jeff's amazing. Love him to death. You should oh. have him talk on, on here sometime. Because so like- <laughs> I was going to say this. When you have finished the editing process, mm. what I would love is to get my hands on a screener so that I can watch the film and then have you and your actors and we do a full round yes. table talk back with all of you. 
I would yes. love, love, love to do that. I can already answer for them and say, yes, they would love to do that. I would love to do that. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Incredible. Yeah. Like I had this idea a while back and I was like going to email you and I was like, no, no, no. We'll see how, we'll see yeah. how this goes. And we'll now talk. I'm just, I'm full sail into it. Like God. I would love to fucking I would love to do, do that. that too. Absolutely. And also the way, the way that, um, I'm sort of have shot the film and color grading it. Now I'm, I grew up on like an older palette of cinema Meaning that I like when I get to experience emotions in the scene. I like when we cut a little less. I'm watching a lot of movies today, and I hate to sound like an old fucking geezer, but it's really anxious. It's edited very anxiously. You know, it is all over the place. It's hyper, and it's also, you know, shit like Disney where they're trying to condense three movies into one and stuff. Or you have... I'll give you a good example. There is a one, like, animated film that my partner and I watched recently. It was, like, Mitchell, the Mitchells versus the Machines or whatever. Mitchells Super versus cute, the Machines. Super fun movie. It was awesome. But, my God, that whole... That crew, all of them had ADHD. I swear to fucking God. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, like, like... It was just so... It just all the editing and how fast everything moved and how and, and even in stuff like um I'm mentioning uh, sort of like other Disney movies like Raya and the Last Dragon like there's moments where there's some intense emotions but we sit on it for like half a second then we're on to the next thing and I'm like wait I want to experience these things because I remember growing up watching like the older Disney movies something like that maybe something like Mulan or whatever and you got to yeah. sit in some emotions you know you or had, like you had a moment <laughs> to sit the the one of the most brilliant like one of the most brilliant points to be made in a movie without saying a goddamn word of dialogue happens in Mulan. And yeah. it's that it is that tonal shift between a girl worth fighting for and then finding that burnt out village. Yes. Because what do they find? They find that baby doll. Yeah. And so they went from God, why am I getting emotional? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it says, baby. <laughs> but they, they went they went from talking about they went from talking from this place of like a selfish idea of a girl worth fighting for. Yeah. A girl worth fighting for because mm-hmm. she's fighting for me. A girl worth fighting for because she has something to offer to yeah. me. And then finding the girl that they weren't fighting for. Mm-hmm. The girl that they needed to be fighting The one for. they should have been the, fighting for. Like, and, and like, they did all of that without saying a goddamn word. Right. And and you sit in that. And you sit in that kind of uncomfortable yeah. moment. And yeah. I think the reason movie making has moved into what it has today is mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's, like, threefold. It's the fact that, you know... That is the market. Everything is yeah. fast paced. We need to move. We need to get to the next thing. We need to go. I have shit to do. I got to pick mm-hmm. the kids up from the sitter. I only have two and a half hours. You better get this whole movie done. Mm-hmm. And it's this other thing of like people not dealing with their own shit. So they there don't, they mm-hmm. don't feel comfortable either writing or experiencing it. Yeah. So like they don't want to sit in those uncomfortable emotions and they don't want to like see things that like bring them back to things in their own life. Yeah. And like to a degree that's fine. Like yeah. I like I've been avoiding certain things right now because we are having a certain experience with my grandmother right now. Right. And so there there are things that I just avoid because if I start crying I won't stop. But there are other times where it's necessary to the story, yep. but it's also necessary for the soul yes. to just experience these things, honor them, and then release them. Yes, because, exactly. Yeah. People get wrapped up in this like, oh, I don't want it to consume me. Honey, 
if you stop fighting it, it won't. Like, it's trying to consume you because you aren't recognizing exactly. it. It's like a child that, trying to get your attention. That's why I love cinema. Because one thing that people, I think tend to forget and haven't really understood for a long time but it's been the case is that especially for american culture like cinema is our culture it is how we tell stories it's how we capture our history we build our personalities around it you know what i mean cinema is so important and it's so sacred and cherished but it's so hyper commercialized today but also as a film i'm a filmmaker that genuinely believes that like the old greek tragedies of the day i think when we consume art or consume media there should be potential for catharsis in it i think that's kind of the point of art is about catharsis especially cinema and that's why i think it's important that's why i love noir so much especially neo-noir because what noir is about it's not just you know ah she and the trench coat and the femme vital you know it's it's not just that noir is about the themes it's the, it's a whole genre it's a like, whole genre it's not just the detective what noir is no. it's about the dirty underbelly it's the shit that gets swept under the rug it's the stuff we don't want to look at it's our trauma it's it's the things that we really need to be talking about and that's what i'm fascinated yeah. by i love looking at those taboo subjects i love looking at those things that you know like i guess you could say some film broy shit that like you know i love american psycho and fight club not because it's like yeah man you know it's uh, but like, yeah like those aren't the, and that's the thing is like those aren't bad movies by any no. stretch of the imagination no. but the issue is is like film bros actively miss the point yes that. yes exactly because american psycho that was done by a woman a woman yeah. directed that film a trans a, a two trans women created the entire matrix franchise yes, exactly like, and like with and with fight club with fight club and i think a lot of people miss this one fight club is such a blatant critique on masculine patriarchal culture especially modern day yes and it amazes me the people that miss that point because it is such a gross and and like dirty and just raw representation of like classic masculinity it's incredible how some people just miss that and that's why i think film and developing a film language especially as an american is so important because i find that cinema is what can help give us vocabulary to talk about those difficult things. That's what I want to do with Rentboy. I want it to be a place where it's like, you know, making this film is not going to solve the world's problems, but it's going to start the conversation. It's going to help us. I was literally, girl, I was literally (laughs) about, I was, I had this thought earlier when you were talking about, you know, moving into the feature length and like, you know, and film is never going to be the whole conversation, right? Right. But like, a short film is like that snippet of the conversation we hear from the other room. And then the feature length is actually being involved in the conversation. Right. So that's the thing is, and, and, but like, so, and that's the thing that so many people miss about it too, is they either think of film as just this frivolous thing that we do to kind of find enjoyment, which is fine. And sometimes it is, sometimes it totally is. And that's necessary, but like, it's also necessary for like, to have real conversations through film because it's, it's the only exposure some people are ever going to be able to have to things. Absolutely. Because film is one of the most, if not the most accessible art form. I mean, you look at YouTube, you look at Vine, you look at TikTok, you look at Netflix, you look at anything. It's like, we are constantly consumed 
with the moving image. And the reason why is because it is so us. I mean, the reason why cinema works and, and why we like watching is because it reminds us of our dreams. And that's what it goes back to. Editing goes back to the cuts that we have in a dream and sitting in that dark theater with a crowd of people that you don't know. It's like you're all experiencing the same dream. There's nothing quite like it. And it is, it's so taken for granted. Yeah, because, like, even though we're all, like, experiencing, you know, this this shared hallucination for a moment. Right. We all take different things from it. Yes. And, like, because, like, there are so many lenses in a film and not Mm -hmm. just camera lenses. Like, (laughs) you know... There and you know you are sitting in this kind of unique and it's not like unique to indie film. A lot right. of times in indie film you are your writer, director, and producer. Yeah. But you know, I, I, in film, you know, let's say that you aren't all of those things, right? Mm-hmm. So we have the lens that the writer wrote it through. Yep. We have the lens that the director is viewing this through. Mm-hmm. We have the lens that all of the actors yep. are viewing it through as they're bringing these characters to life. Mm-hmm. And then all of the audience members take that in and view all of that information through their own lenses. Yes. And so we all are able to relate and take different things from these from these pieces of media and that's why people take things so deeply personally. And I'm like, girl, you got to depersonalize it. Mm-hmm. Like, I may not like the movie. I'm not saying it's, a, I'm not saying that you're not allowed to like it, but like, you know, I'm not a fan of like Die Hard. Like, that's right. not true, but I'm just pulling the fucking movie out. <laughs> right. But like, you know, like just because I say, well, I don't like this movie because XYZ and I view it through this lens. That's not an invitation for you to change my mind. You're more than welcome to share with me why you like it. And that's fine. But like, don't expect me to just because you have told me all of these things that you love about it and why that I'm all of a sudden it's my favorite movie. Like that's just not realistic. Like we all are able to take different things from things and we view it through our own lens. Like there, there's reasons why some people don't like something and and they like other things. And sometimes it just doesn't fucking land with somebody. They they don't understand it or, you know, they just just doesn't resonate or whatever, you know, and that's totally fine. And that's, and the thing with cinema is that I hope it could be a, you know, growing space for people to be more comfortable with like discourse and that yes. not just because uh, you, you disagree on something doesn't necessarily mean that like you're mad at each other or you're at odds or the other person's a villain. It's just a different perspective. And that there's also nothing wrong with considering that perspective while still respecting and retaining your own perspective. You know, you're not compromising yourself because you're listening to a different point of view. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and like, I, and that's like, we, as a culture have like forgotten that there is a difference between antagonist and villain. Yes. There is a difference. Big difference. So like someone can be your antagonist because Mm -hmm. they have a counterpoint to yours. Someone can, you know, like both in cinema and like in real life, like just because someone has a dissenting viewpoint just because you know you don't agree in this doesn't make you a fucking villain it doesn't yep. make you evil or bad right like, um and you know sometimes there are very clear-cut evil bad yes. things in media absolutely but, like they're not necessary like yeah. there is so much story that you can tell 
with so much more vivid detail just using shades of gray. Yep. That's true. And that's very much what's done in Rent Boy because there is, I mean, the final scene, I mean, I, I honestly want this to be a bit of a trigger warning to people who are going to watch it. I mean, yes, trigger Simon, warning. Simon, in the end, does get raped by Richard. We do not watch that. We do not see that. I'll, I'll spoil the ending a little bit here so you get an idea of how this film works, but it ends with William shoving Simon into his into his bedroom with Richard pulling him in. William closes the door and he's leaning up against it in fucking just like hyperventilating shock, just like, oh my fucking God, oh my God, oh my God. And you hear, you hear the rape happening and we're not watching it, but it is fucking harrowing. And my, my actors did an incredible job with it. And William, he sort of just, he tries to light a cigarette. He can't get a lit, can't get a lit. He just ah, ah, throws everything down and just takes a moment and it's still happening. It's still happening. It's still happening. And he just gets up from the door and just walks away. And then we fade to black, you know, and it is just, Oof. it is, it's fucking intense, but it's, that's the message of the film. And it's, and it's like, and I'm not doing this, you know, we're not like watching the rape happen or something. We don't need to see that. I mean, the way we're no. doing because but because the theme happens with seeing William making this horrendous sacrifice and recognizing what he's lost and just sort of, having to be he has to be okay with selling his soul like that you know he he realized that he made his decision and he has no other choice but to move on and that really encapsulates i think the effects of capitalism patriarchy sexism whatever it, that especially because like you don't have to exactly there was another choice yeah, there that there was you are a choice. not seeing everything that was happening up before that moment that william had another choice but he believed that he didn't he thought that he didn't simon's like we need to get out of here we can just leave let's get out of here let's go and william actually closes the door and says i can't i can't leave i will have lost everything i work for and simon's like what the fuck do you mean you know like that's what happens in the final scene and it just it goes to show that like it is a fucking illusion it is an illusion this whole system we live in is a motherfucking illusion we all made it up technically right and that's i mean we all like mm, i don't know all of us making it up but you know we I mean. are all stuck in it yeah yeah we're yeah. all stuck no, in it at least right oh and, yeah 100 and it's sort of william being so stuck in it that he can't see that there is a way out and that yeah it's a big risk and it's a big step but sometimes actually a lot of times taking the safer option quote unquote is going to be the worst option for you because that's not the one that you need. That's not the one you deserve. You know, that safer option, that financially secure option, it would have been more financially secure for me to save my toxic ex instead of breaking up with him. But I broke up with him because that was the right thing for me to do. It would have been a better financially secure thing for me to stay in my horrible apartment by myself with very rude, noisy upstairs neighbor and sacrifice my health. But no, I moved out because it's a lot healthier. Now I live in a gorgeous, somehow high rise with my current partner, two bedroom, a garage, like a cat, you know, like I have a, per a perfect fucking home here now. And it's like, and it's all because I took that risk and I, and yeah. I took lessons from the film I fucking wrote and said, I need to do the thing that's going to be right for me and not just do the thing that's going to feel safe or secure, you know, not give in to sort of just the sense of survival. I need to do the right thing for myself. That's what Rent Boy's about. And let's also talk about like that. That's another thing that we need to talk about is like our concept of what safety actually is. Yes. Because so often we, we get in our heads that safety means 
we have a stable address mm-hmm. and we have this, that, and the other thing. And like a lot of times you're safer couch surfing than staying with that partner. Yes. You're, you're safer moving back home and taking that L mm-hmm. than you are toiling away in a career that is literally killing you. Yeah. Um, we, we conflate success, whether that is success in relationship, yep. success in housing, success in careers. We conflate success with safety yes. and we conflate success with happiness. And yep. that's why there are people getting promotion after promotion that are just fucking miserable human beings. And they spread that misery wherever they go yep. because they have, they have forgotten how to find joy and yeah. how to do things that are just for pure enjoyment and not because they need to be doing them to further this or that or the other thing. Yeah. And like, that's a big reason why like a lot of people who are extremely talented in the arts and stuff never pursue it because they try, but because they don't have the safety net of parents with money, mm-hmm. like they aren't allowed to fail. If right. they fail, that's it. It's done. Yeah. Like, I don't get another chance. That's very much the situation that I am because my parents, they're pretty they're pretty well off. They're pretty all right right now. But, like, you know, uh, it's still – I grew up living paycheck to paycheck with my mom mm-hmm. and dad, right? You know, yeah. sure, we – I lived in Oregon. We had five acres, you know. We had a three-bedroom house. Ooh, you know, I had horses and chickens, but everything's a hell of a lot cheaper there. And both oh, yeah. of them were working – intense laborious jobs you know my mom sold her fucking wedding ring so i can go to japan in middle school on, a, on an exchange program you know that's that's those are my parents they're wonderful people i love them they they helped me through my move they helped me in supporting my film you know and they didn't pay for my film for me because they can't do that but they helped where they could meaning that they bought me groceries on occasion or sent me some extra money for rent you know that's yeah. and that's so important and it's not a huge safety net, but it was a necessary safety net. And I very much felt that, like, if I didn't get to make Rent Boy, because I already fronted up a few thousand dollars just to make the first pitch video and do other things with it, mm-hmm. then fuck, I'm never going to be able to go anywhere and film because this is my last chance to make something this low budget because I don't have to pay people. Because when it comes to paying people, and fuck, I want to pay people. Right, but, like, absolutely. But the reality is I'm 22 years old, just out of college, struggling to make ends meet. And I just, I can't, and I'm having to pay this out of pocket because the bank doesn't want to give me a loan they say your debt to income ratio is too high fuck off for having two degrees i just graduated college <laughs> motherfucker right and so it's like you get stuck in the situation i literally like a couple weeks before shooting uh, before you know and I, I had to move the shoot dates back months and months and months routinely because of the pandemic i had to switch producers i had a bunch of shit go on right and this and when we filmed this august 7th not august so july 7th through the 11th this month I was like, you know, this is the last straw. This is when it happens or else it doesn't happen at all. And a couple weeks before, I just, I was breaking down. I was crying because I wasn't able to get like the money together without dipping into my own savings and stuff, you know? And I was just like, oh my God, I was crying in Noah's arms. I'm like, how am I going to get this to work? Oh, blah, blah, blah. everything's ruined. And then I just stopped. And I said, no, you know what? I reject that reality. I'm going to make this work because I had a father who worked with some interesting people with some, you know, high-end physicist type people and they know a lot about manifesting and energy and weird shit like that right so i'm remembering a core lesson from my childhood about 
manifesting, right? And being just so passionate, <laughs> right? Being passionate and driven towards the goal, but also letting that fuel to fuel you to do what you need to do. Because manifesting is not just about like, gee, I hope it'll happen. It's like, oh my God. Mani- I'm going to like put it in my mind and then I'm going to like no and like you're talking to a whole witch like I know how manifestation works like here's the thing and I said this I said this like when when the cheetah was elected I said this (laughs) during I said this during the protests that happened this past summer yep Anger is an energy. Yes, it is. Like, and all of these things around us are energies. And our our desire for these things, like that's an energy that lives inside us. It's a hunger that lives inside us. So yes, put the thing on your vision board mm-hmm. and like have something that you have have a have a have a totem that you use to focus on, but also let that energy drive you. You yeah. have to put feet behind it you have to do the work it's just like with um it's just like with pipeline three um there's this performative ass bitch out there saying oh well if you can't do anything for the protesters just use this sigil and it's like first of all you don't know (laughs) what she charged that sigil with second of all you can still sign a goddamn petition yes third of all this hoe was out here being mad racist to indigenous people like a week before she made this video so (laughs) yeah so but like that's but like to bring it back to like the point is like you have to you have to make it work and i'm not and i'm not minimizing work that anybody is doing like this is not this is not directed at anybody who is actually like putting as much effort behind something as they can. We all mm-hmm. have different ability levels. Yeah. We all have different levels of privilege and we yep. all have different things that we have to work with and yeah. work through. Mm-hmm. But if you, if your manifestation is you writing in your journal and sleeping with quartz under your pillow, you're not doing enough. Right. The way that I like to view manifestation, this will probably help our, our dear listeners here is that, Manifestation is about being unapologetic about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Because days before we were going to shoot, the DP that I had on this project for years had to drop on me. She had a severe mental breakdown, you know, and she dropped. And luckily, the guy that was going to be our camera operator is a very experienced uh, cinematographer. His name is Matt Carroll. Love him to death. He saved my fucking life with this film. And he turned out to be the best cinematographer I ever worked with. He did a phenomenal job. Love him. Such a king. I bought him wine at the end. And I still I still <laughs> need to finish. And I was able to give him my whole camera budget, which I would much rather do than paying it to some rental company, right? But what yeah. it came down to is that I also had sound people drop. I had this person drop, that person drop, or these people now working out we need to find the rest of the camera department whatever i start cold calling people and just saying hey you want to be on this film and being unafraid of people being like no i can't or like yeah i want to be on or like wait what the fuck is this like that's the thing about manifesting is that you say okay you know what it's not going to work i can't get a loan from a bank but i do have some money in my savings and i'm working with people who are passionate about this project maybe they'll let me delay payment maybe they'll let me make installment payments for for what we're doing you know like maybe 
uh, I could cut a deal with them. Maybe we can do a trade for something. It's like, it's about getting creative with how you can fund something. Like with, with Rempway, I mean, this film's still at the end of the day going to cost 10 grand. And it's money that I hope to get made back entirely because it drained any any little bit of savings. I did not have 10 grand in my savings. No. You know, I mean, who fucking does at 22? I had maybe two or three. Oh and my God, most you are 22. Being, that's right. I am feeling 22. <laughs> you i'm feeling 22 and um (laughs) uh, but like i feel every bit of 27 some days (laughs) (laughs) that's right that's right but then there are other days that i forget that i'm closer to 30 than i am to 22 right Right? oh my god i'm just i I can't believe that i'm etching closer and closer to 25 than like 18 or whatever you know or or whatever but like like the main thing is that back to back to the manifesting when it comes to manifesting it's about being unapologetic in your belief and just sort of like if people get pissy wissy or if people are like, oh, well, you know, I just it just you get it. You get in the zone. I was in a zone that like, OK, fuck you. I don't give a shit what you think. You're not going to help me get out of my way. You know, it's like Hello. like that's that's the zone that I was in. Like I like to call it being in the auto zone because it's like very testosterone fueled. And I'm like, get in the zone, auto zone. <laughs> I'm screaming. <laughs> that's what, that's what it feels like. It's kind of like. You know, I, I did, okay, so I did, I did band all throughout school, right? Mm -hmm. I'm an avid music person. Whenever I'm creating, I'm listening to music. I'll usually have a beer or something to calm the ADHD brain or whatever, uh, because I'm not medicated yet. So, you know, um, (laughs) yeah, I I have no health insurance. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) (laughs) It's like with music, if you ever listen, one of my favorite brands is Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Holly Johnson is one of my favorite singers of all time because that man embodies I think like the way he's, he sings and moving at one million miles an hour, that man embodies passion in his singing and just like this testosterone like intense, just, ah, which is very much what I relate to as a person. Cause you know, it's like, I'm an, I'm an Aries or whatever. Like I am very, I am just big ball of fire. Well, Aries, Aries sun, Aquarius moon, a uh, Libra rising. Right. Okay. So there's that, there, I am an intense person and, um, I'm also, I'm also an ENTJ. So I'm very like, let's get this mm-hmm. shit done i'm a commander i'm a mover and a shaker let's go and so that's and having that energy and letting yourself kind of just lean into the ego a little bit in a good way and just sort of like say you know what i'm gonna do this thing i think it is great and having that energy is going to attract other people because the people that ended up being on my film my line producer that my new producer brought on ended up having the perfect location for my film that was literally 98% like how I pictured the film taking place and it was fucking weird you that's know incredible. And, and I was able to like okay here I'll buy you guys like a, a new used couch for you and give you my old AC unit that's really nice because I don't need it you know and, and help them out with different things and just like and just create a lot of um, create a lot of goodwill that's kind of the other thing with manifesting is that you gotta create goodwill with other people and you gotta be good on your word and you gotta be passionate and you got to not give up and you need to believe in yourself, especially when it comes to facing those other people. You need to exist like, you know, it's going to work out because it is. And that's and mm-hmm. that's that's the main thing is having that energy that, yeah, it's going to work out because I'm working on it and not mm-hmm. just like, oh, yeah, it's going to work out and then not do anything. Everything's you know? <laughs> going to be OK. <laughs> it's like, honey, that's not enough. You're not putting that's in not the energy. You're just you're daydreaming. That's just called mm-hmm. daydreaming, you know, which is in, fine. That's fine. You know, but, but it's not like, going to get you. That's not going to get you anything. <laughs> it's not going to get you anything. It's like you need. You got to be willing to put in that work. You got to. You got to really just. You get to that place of absolute 
humility, humbleness. I think that's the other key thing that goes into all this is being so humble to accept failure, to accept that as a potential. Well, and I think for me, like personally, like I don't even view failure as something that you like accept with humility. I think, I think failure is something you need to be grateful for. You learn more from a failure than you do from a success. Like all you know from a success is, I guess it worked like that this time. Like I didn't really know what I was doing, (laughs) but like it worked. But then like when you fail, you learn. And like, Mm -hmm. and like, like I was saying earlier, some of us can't afford to fail. Yeah. But there's a difference between like, Failures in execution and failure of concept as a whole. Yes, um, and absolutely. That's what people get bogged down in the little failures that have to happen along the way, like all of the DP dropping, the sound, <laughs> like those are those are technically failures. Like they're yeah. not your specific failures, but they are, and they're not failures that you were responsible for causing. But yeah. they're failures that you have to be responsible for. Fa- okay, now we have to like work around right. it. We have to I'm figure out how to make that work. I'm responsible for resolving it. I'm responsible for taking that failure and turning it into a success. Yeah, you know, that's that's the key thing, and I think it's also like. Um, and I think when I say like humility with that failure is that ex- it's that it's about being able to accept that that happened and have that be okay that it happened so yeah. that you can actually go do something about it instead of just stewing on it and ruminating and being like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm not perfect. Oh my God, oh my God, who gives a fuck? I mean, really, because no. I'm somebody that's, you know, I am a perfectionist. I'm somebody that deals with those thoughts and it's fucking awful. You know, I, was I mean, always, same. I was always Miss 4.0 on top of everything until, you know, life started coming at me and stuff. And that was a huge personality whack thing going on so like that's been a big fight for me to fight the whole like i can't afford to fail thing boy do i fucking feel that and i have felt that but the process of this film i have failed so much in the making of it and here i am finally editing it and it's fucking beautiful coming together i've kind of got a rough edit of the first three scenes together my fucking god it is something special and i'm not here just to pat i mean i am gonna pat my own back a little bit because holy shit you deserve it like it's been a long yeah, it's a long a road, long- and you're still on this road, and you're still doing it, and you're still making it happen, and that's fucking incredible. Absolutely, and, and like we've thing- talked about it a lot, and I want to go ahead and like have this here now, and we'll do yeah. it again at the end. But where can people throw money at you? Where can they help make this happen? Because I think this is something that people are already excited yes. about. Now that we're about an hour and a half in, I'm right. sure that people are super excited and want to know how to help. So you're going to want to go to our Indiegogo page. There was, we did one that was like last year. That one's called like Rent Boy Short Film. Don't do that one because it's not even active. You're going to want to go to the one that's just Rent Boy. So you do the, the Indiegogo URL and you have that forward slash and it's just rent dash boy. Easy. Oh, right. And we will have that. We will have that up on the Twitter and up in the Discord. Thank you. Uh, for you, dear listener, so that you can go and help make queer dreams come true. <laughs> 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 but yes, let's get back onto yeah, like we we've had the failures, but now you are yes. literally on the road to success. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, I didn't want this film just to be my success. Here's the other key thing about manifesting is that when you're manifesting something and it involves other people, it should not just be for your own personal gain. Mm-hmm. When I was making Rent Boy the entire time, I was like, I want this to help start people's careers. I want people to look back at working on this film and say, 
fuck, I got to work on that. I worked on this film. It's fucking awesome, you know? I wanted it to be something for other people and not just, like, help me make my student film. Like, no. I want people to be proud of the work that they did for this piece of work because it was a feat and it's something unique and i'm not afraid to say that be proud of your work it's okay to like be proud of what you fucking do you're not an arrogant asshole nobody gives a shit if somebody calls you that then they're just upset with themselves they can go fuck off and suck a chode i don't care right like there's a difference (laughs) there's a difference between taking pride in the work that you've put in like that's the thing is like people talk about like oh pride is a sin like first of all pedophilia is a sin and the catholic church has been covering it up for thousands of years so fuck all the way off exactly second of all (laughs) like i deserve to be like to be proud of who i am and i'm not every day and like there are some days where like i don't understand or know what i'm doing like i didn't plan to live this long like i turned 27 this year and like for weeks leading up to my birthday i was randomly having these like micro cries and then i was having like full-on breakdowns because i never planned or expected to live this long like i didn't think i was going to make it to 18 let alone 27 right and you know in a lot of ways like i feel like a failure but also like here i am with a podcast that people listen to yeah and like with uh with with projects that like people are excited to do with me and beyond the work and contribution that i of things that I put out into the world. Like there are people who genuinely like me as a person. I don't understand it, but they do. (laughs) And so like, it's, it's, I deserve to be proud of this person that I never thought that I would get the chance to be. Yes. Just like you deserve to be proud of the art. You weren't sure you were going to get to make. Absolutely. That's, that's for fucking anybody. I don't care if you're doing furry art, like, come on. And (laughs) you have every right because people want that content. People, people are going to feel connected and seen because you're making that. Who cares? Who cares? You know, you know, I'm not a fan of that personally, but like other people are for them. That's sarcastic. And that really fuels them, and that's and that's okay. Be yeah. okay with having your weird niche audience because that's your yeah. tribe, that's your team. You and know? even if you have no, even if you have no audience other than yourself and yeah. your three friends, yeah, if exactly. Yourself and your f- three friends derive joy, support, and community mm-hmm. from what you're doing together. That is something to be proud of. Because, yes, like. And I, and I talk about this a lot of how like colonialism and like white culture is, is super individualistic in a way that is so harmful and hateful. Yes. And, And it's not even always like super, like, you know, it's not always something that people are super cognizant of. Like they don't realize that, you know, even when they're trying to listen and be a part and be allies, like they still like have this like selfish, personal, individualistic aspect that right. they, they have to strip away. And, like, you don't see that in indigenous communities. And, like, when I say indigenous, like, I'm not just speaking about Native American. Indigenous, when I say indigenous, I mean, like, indigenous cultures from across the world. Yeah. Like when, but when you look at Native Americans, when you look at African tribes, when you look at the Aino, when you look at, you know, indigenous cultures in India, like, it's about community yeah. over the individual. And, like, feeding and taking care of the community feeds and takes care of you and so it's 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 not it's not this thing of 
all of my successes are my own and all of my failures are my own. Like, and that, and that's the detriment to it. Right. And Mm -hmm. that's when, you know, pride becomes a bad thing is when you're fully just saying, Oh, this is all me and everything I do is mine. But it also gets super damaging to yourself because then you're like, you feel like you bear the weight of your failures all on your own. Carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. Yep. Yeah, but whereas like in indigenous communities, it's very much like we mourn together, like we celebrate together, we are angry together, and like and having that community allows going back to what we said earlier, like Jesus, this is tying back. But yeah. <laughs> like when you have that community around you, it is so much easier to honor and express those emotions because you don't you you aren't feeling like it is solely on you to figure them out and like emotions are big and scary especially when you are raised in a culture that would rather you not fucking talk about them yeah like things get very big and scary and harsh but mm-hmm. when you have a community around you that you can weep into their arms and say i'm so goddamn tired and i don't know how to keep going and i don't know what my next move is supposed to be because x y or z fell through then you get that moment to cry with them and and they get that moment to like maybe bring up a perspective that you can't or don't have, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's so true. I was very fortunate in the whole process of making this film. I always had my parents, my current partner, Noah, my actors who were also my friends and, and chosen family and a few other friends of mine that I was able to lean on. You know, I remember, I remember very vividly the night that I nearly, you know, off to myself. And uh, I couldn't go through with it because the knife that I had was still sticky with lime left on it that my actor that, that plays Richard, Jeff, he used it to cut a lime for his drink earlier that day. And that somehow grounded me. And uh, luckily, I was able to get in contact with some friends and they let me stay with them for a few days. Friends I used to play D&D with. So they were their good old buddies, you know, yeah. and just hang out with them and just sort of feel community and feel supported when I moved to a place all on my own and just was heartbroken and felt used and, and so many different things, you know, and this, and all in the making of the film and things falling apart because of the pandemic and this and that. And it was just like having, having some community, even if it is just mainly a small number of people, like maybe one or two people, you know, if it's just your parents, if it's just your partner, if it's just your best friend, if it's just your dog, maybe, you know, hopefully it's a little more than your dog, but hopefully, hopefully, hopefully it's someone that can speak, you know, we don't all have yeah. bunny in our house. I don't <laughs> exactly. know if you're familiar. That's that's dear listener. If you're not familiar with bunny, bunny is a dog on TikTok that has a set of buttons that allow her to speak to her owners. And it's a lot and it's, Yes. Wild. Please go watch another, it. An- another dog is uh, Stella on Instagram. Yes! <laughs> oh my god. But yeah, so if you don't have a bunny or a Stella, you know. Yeah. But, please, uh, please have real human connection. That's, that's kind of the key. Yeah, the community is so important mm-hmm. for success. And, and recognizing that, like, you know, being okay with, like, yes, this film is, like, this is my film, it's my IP and my project, but I could not have done it without all the people that helped me out. And it's not right. just 
the little people. It is the people. And I seriously, the whole plan, the whole plan for when the film's ready, um, I think I will have it completely edited together easily by the end of this year. Um, the plan is to screen it here in Chicago at a really cool local theater, probably more of like a movie palace, very old school type of oh, looking yes. place, you know? And get, get together, um, you know, maybe like two other short films that are comparable in quality, because Rent Boy, I have to say, is a pretty high fucking quality short film. It does not look anything student-like jared how you know like something you know like some bullshit like that yeah. like you know it's an, it's it's a very intense well done film because uh, i had a great crew working with me i had some very professional people on this film and so the idea is to kind of do a whole hour and a half two hour long thing where these three films are screened rent Boy being the last film that gets screened and in between each screening the, the filmmaker gets to come up and kind of give a little talk and just like you know it could be a little bit of a panel or they're just giving a speech about it i plan on having some you know press people there and writing a press release about it because you know i have those connections and listen here's <laughs> here's the thing clearly you see that i know how to host yes michael i know you're listening <laughs> michael is my marketing is my marketing director the marketing director that we work with for novi he's incredible we love him uh and queer uh cancer fucking serve cancer thriver why we love him <laughs> Wow. We're so proud of him, but he lives in Chicago. So when this screening is happening, Michael, I'm coming, I'm staying with you, and I am hosting this for you. Yes, I would love to facilitate talkback sessions for this. Like please. it would be an amazing, be an amazing, amazing opportunity. Please like, do. I would love to have you here and just like I also would just love to give you a hug in person and say, know, Oh my god, you're amazing. Also the plan is to uh, one of the theaters that we're looking at has like um i forget i forget which one it is in particular but um robert who plays william in the film suggested it to me and they actually have in each of like the theaters they have like a bar inside like the theater room and so the idea is that we want to sell because part of the the way i'm going to be making money back for the film is running like a whole drink special at a lot of the gay bars up in the north halstead area because i know yes. all the business owners and they like me and um sort of running a, a drink special where it's like the rent boy drink and having coasters that it's actually a polaroid i took of uh, Simon and William, my actors, you know, John and Robert together, looking very much as their characters. It's a very candid moment. It was really cool. And it's and it's a Polaroid, but it's going to be a coaster on the flips on the front. It says, like, flip for a surprise. And you flip it over and it says Rent Boy has a QR code and it's got, like, the website and a bunch of other stuff. So, you know, I have plans I for that. that. And um, so the, the whole idea is, like, with the short film is to get the idea out there and build, like, this kind of cult following sort of thing. So that way when it gets attention maybe at festivals or something or it just has a large presence i mean people are going to look at it and then you know some maybe bigger studios go what else do you got i can slap a feature down on the table and say yes there you go you want more this. pay me <laughs> so i've okay so i actually just this is hilarious i actually just invented this drink today uh and i'm gonna send it to you because it's so aesthetic the only thing that would make it more aesthetic is the actual twist of lime that i wanted to mm. add to it or not lime lemon Mm. Um, but it is a blackberry martini with lemon. And Ooh. because black, uh, or excuse me, blueberry, because blueberry reacts to the pH of lemon, it made it red. So it is super red and gorgeous. <laughs> so I just sent you that picture. If you want that recipe, I will give you that recipe. And those bars can have that. That can be your rent boy. Ah, thank you. I can tell you. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, thank you. Because that's also like such, that sounds like such an easy drink to make. And like, oh, would it's be super a, fucking easy. That's it's perfect. super easy. Lex, you just gave me the Rent Boy drink. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Listen, I'm all about queer supporting queer. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, that's nothing. I have to say shout out to some of the businesses here yes, in yes. North Halstead. So um, I have to shout out Ramesh Aryanaikam, who is like the, the president of, you know, the North Halstead Business Alliance. But he also owns Kit Kat Bar and Lark Bar. He let me shoot in his bar. Um, I also have to shout out Alan O'Brien, owner of the men's room, who let me use Leather Sport free of charge for this film and helped with the production value. It looked gorgeous. I got to put Noah, my partner. Yeah, I got to put Noah, my partner, in Leather Sport. He looked great. Um, (laughs) Have him in the porn shoot scene. It was wonderful. (laughs) That's incredible. I wish that I was in... I wish that I was in... Chicago and knew about this as you were filming it because oh. what's funny is I actually have Tom of Finland Finland accessories like I have an official Tom of Finland leash I have oh a my Tom god of fin- I have like Tom of Finland puffs like Stop. I have like official <laughs> merchandise get out <laughs> no I won't like <laughs> like I genuinely and like each of them came with like a cardstock photo of uh like an illustration of it using that particular that toy. That is so cool. Yeah. I love that. That's amazing. I have to I say will post I will post those to my Twitter for the for, please. for you, dear listener. <laughs> <laughs> please do. You also just reminded me more about Tom Affillin, the main character. Yes. William uh, is inspired. His whole look and aesthetic is inspired by Tama Finland's kake. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> that is that very is... much so. Uh, so Robert, oddly enough, this is very much that similar type of aesthetic. And we're very excited for the feature because uh, William is also supposed to be sort of a, like a, not necessarily like a bodybuilder type, but, you know, very like into weightlifting and Beefy. stuff like that. Very like beefcake boy. That man's got thighs, you know? Ooh. And um, I want to <laughs> do a scene in the feature that is, um, I want to have it after like when, William and Simon maybe have their first romantic moment together and this is William kind of enjoying the day after himself and it's just you ever see the movie Risky Business you know the dance scene in the living room but except it's William and it's Flesh for Fantasy by Billy Idol that's this that's what I have in mind and I have to show you know I'll have to share some of my concept art my drawings with you because I'm a self-taught sketch artist as well and I'll have to kind of send those things to you it's just a little like special sneak peek and maybe used to promote some things but like I have a bunch of fun ideas like that for the future because again the core of Rent Boy it's also all about juxtaposing the beauty and the tenderness versus that brutality you know that is what happens throughout people continuously create these false dichotomies right yeah they they want to be good cops bad cops good white people bad white people good like good gays bad like that's completely false like there is no one who is intrinsically bad or intrinsically good there's nobody who is just entirely femme or entirely masculine. Now there are people who like fully do not fit the traditional, like, and traditional by traditional, I'm specifically talking about like Western and like European ideals of masculinity and femininity. Um, 
So uh, people want to people want to act like you know you're either mask or you're femme, and you can't yeah. be both or in between, or you can't you know in order to be truly masculine, you can't have a stitch of femininity. And again, that goes back like that's why like there are so many queer men who are like mask for mask, no femmes, no this, no, and they don't even let themselves enjoy things because they're right. too gay. You suck <laughs> dick, bro. Like you're gay. Like, like get over it. <laughs> It's fine if you genuinely don't enjoy something, but to yeah. deny yourself something because you're afraid of how people will perceive you, you mm-hmm. are perpetuating violence against yourself and others. Like, there's no reason that you cannot be masculine and also, like, wear a little bit of concealer if it makes you feel more confident in your body. Yeah, exactly. There's no reason you can't be masculine, but, like, dress up in a dress sometimes because your friends like want to have fun and you want to go out and you want to be like stupid for Halloween or whatever. This, like, this reminds me of a couple articles I read when I was doing research for Rempway initially. And there's, there's two of them. One was about this like old school famous gay porn actor. I think he called himself the little piggy or something like that. And apparently he's Chicago based, you know, very bare type. And he was always cast in like these very domineering, you know, roles. And he was of course, never the lead. And of course the lead in gay porn being the one that gets fucked in the ass, you know, Mm -hmm. nobody wants to be the lead. Um, But like how he had to, how he had to act and be and just hyper masculine and like vicious and just so domineering and like, burly and and how actually especially in that era oh my god yeah especially in that era and how um this was also reflected in that one documentary body without soul where a lot of porn in that time like man if if they were wearing condoms it wouldn't sell you know like that kind of that kind of shit you know things were rough and gruff and like that's just a fact and it's important i think to like show and reflect on that there's also another article that was talking about like um, gay men having sexism towards more feminine gay men. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, we, we were just talking about that and how there's actual research that, like, backs this up that, like, this is a problem in the gay community. And then also then there's the infantilization of, like, very young boys at the same time. And and it's not to call all gay men fucking pedophiles. No. And, and, and we're, but... not calling, we're not calling any gay men pedophiles. Exactly. Because there's a difference. There's a difference between calling someone a pedophile and calling them a predator. Yes. Pedophiles are predators, but not all predators are pedophiles. Exactly. And that's very important to keep in mind. And and as we enter into this conversation, and it's definitely a deeper conversation that we can have like at another time on another yes. episode for yes. sure, but it's definitely worth touching on that in the queer community, it is not uncommon to see very young men with older with yeah. older men, especially like in the like eight 17 to 21 year old range like because a lot of times like this is when they're just coming to their sexuality and mm-hmm. they don't have people of their own age around them to confide in to to identify with yeah. and to date so the people that they seek out to learn things from are older men older men and uh, humans in general especially in the, in the united states but like like let's look specifically at men have this obsession with youth and like with queer men there's the level of a lot of the time a lot of time that youth was stolen from them 
They didn't get to just be kids. They didn't get to have playground crushes exactly. and, and playground boyfriends and and this and that and the other thing. And they didn't get to go to prom with the person that they wanted to go to prom with. And they didn't get to go on cute little drive-in dates. Like, you know, they, they feel like they were robbed of that. So they then seek to live that out with a younger person. And that younger yep. person is also, you know, more malleable malleable, and, like, easier, easier for them to manipulate. So they're able to get away with behaviors that people their own age wouldn't put up with. We see this in Rent Boy. We see this – we see a little bit of it in the short because that's very much like Simon and Richard. Simon is like – and I have, I have my very old friend Jonathan Connolly who is an extremely talented actor. That, that, that young man is going to go so far when whatever the fuck he does for acting, I swear to God. He's actually going to be moving to LA next summer because he has an Asian out there that picked him up. He's incredible. <gasps> incredible. And yes, he's amazing. Love love that boy to death. He and I went to middle school together. I've been cre- like creative collaborators like our entire young adult lives. And, um, you know, and he's playing the role of Simon who is just this very cute, pretty boy, all American type. He's all little muscly and this and that, mm-hmm. you know, like he just looks, he's just like golden retriever without like the Jake Paul aesthetic. He's just like, he's like classic American boy. Yeah. And then we, we hate have, Jake Paul in this house. <laughs> <laughs> but then we've got Richard who is like, and Jeff looks great. I mean, Jeff is awesome. He's, um, Native born Chicagoan, I believe. And um, he's also, he's, he looks fantastic. Jeff's great looking. All my actors are great looking. You know, that was very important that they all looked wonderful. And, um, and he's also, he's because also that's really what, good. Because that's part of the commentary of the movie. Not it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not just the marketability. <laughs> but it's like, you know, but also Richard is like, uh, the, the character that Jeff plays is like this very well put together. He's fit. He's middle-aged, you know, he's like, experience and all this stuff and literally there's a scene in the film that's just between Richard and Simon that's not sort of the beginning of the film um it's it's towards the end where Richard says like um you know, you know, I like you, Simon. You remind me of, you know, my younger self or whatever. Is that so hard to believe? You know what I mean? Like they have that kind of conversation a little bit and it's it's you know and it's like that's I touch upon that a little bit because it's yeah, also like going to be that's very clearly a manipulation. Yeah, like, oh, it is. That's a very, it's a very manipulative relationship because for Simon's background as a character, I always pictured him as like you know he comes from this small town. Actually, he and William are supposed to be childhood friends that like grew apart because William moved away and stuff. Like that. I, I have a complex backstory. I don't want to spoil everything because you know I want to make not, it. Yeah, no, 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 let's yeah, keep but, going. But, but, but Simon <laughs> just like comes from a place where he can be very easily manipulated and impressionable because he kind of mm-hmm. does have stars in his eyes a bit. And I also don't see anything wrong with him being youthful and impressionable like that because a lot of oh. people are that. A lot of people are like that. A lot of people have been Simon that have turned into William. A lot of people are William that have loved Simons and have dealt with Richards and a lot of people have become Richards you know that's that's kind of that's a big part of Rent Boy is those characters all being relatable fuck I can find parts of myself in every single one of those characters because you know you write what you know right well and and because and the other thing of it is is like it's not it, it it like people aren't born as Richards yes like Richards are made Exactly. And like, and that's the thing is like, and, and Simon is kind of sitting, or, or excuse me, William is kind of sitting as this hinge between yep. the two of them. Like, exactly. he, he is, he is sitting at this hinge where he could turn back 
and he mm-hmm. could you know reclaim some of that he's never going to be the same like yeah. he's never going to be exactly what simon is no but he doesn't have to become what richard is um exactly. and like it's very that right like it's it it, these aren't what uh, while these are three separate characters mm-hmm. they are not completely separate arcs of yes. a, like they don't have you know they don't have arcs that are you know completely isolated from one another oh, they are hyper intertwined it is a fucking love triangle man it is a love <laughs> in the truest sense because yeah. their arcs do rely on each other it is a film that is all about their relationships and that is another thing that i think makes run boy interesting especially for like a queer film that it's just it's not just about the camp and it's not just about queer relationships it's about these emotionally complex and manipulative relationships mm-hmm. that real people do deal with like real people deal with complex shit like this and don't process or fully understand that this kind of stuff is going on because they're not able to have that mirror and that reflection to see oh that's going on with like you know what a therapist would do for you basically you know what i mean so that's kind of that's right that's another big goal i have with rent boys that it can help be a mirror for people that are in these situations or who are william right yeah. now who kind of feel like they are caught between these two realms and can kind of decide what to do about it before it's too late before they kind of just sell the, their souls to the devil basically you know what i mean yeah and like i've always said that i think media like people always talk about like oh cinema and media like that's it's supposed to be a mirror and like yes but it's not supposed to be a one-to-one ratio mirror. Yeah. It's supposed to be a funhouse mirror. And yes. you can use that and manipulate that in different ways. And like, that's the thing is like, as much as, as much as like media of all types, like books, um, TV, movies, uh, art, like as much as all of these things are kind of a time capsule for the views and, and the social mores of the time that they were made in, mm-hmm. they also can be like, they can be aspirational or they can, they can also be a dark mirror. They can take those, those darkest parts of ourselves, which is what noir is intended to do, but they can take those like darkest parts of ourselves and they can take those things that, you know, we kind of brush off of like, Oh, well, like it's probably fine. Like a lot of Mm -hmm. people do this, like it's okay. And we can take that and we can, you know, push it to its logical extreme and really like, recontextualize things for people like and it's it's as powerful to see it done the dark way as it is to see it done like the good way like yeah. you know as, as if we're like looking at a bright mirror and honestly sometimes it, um you, you honestly you need a bit of both in everything because you need that respite like if we're just if we're just in the shit the whole time Mm -hmm. we're not going to like we as people aren't going to believe that as an audience we're going to be like oh that was a dark ass film but like life isn't like that Mm -hmm. like if we don't have these these moments of levity and we don't have these moments of just like contentment like just like yep because and that's another thing about like going back to you know all of these films moving too fast is like there aren't just moments of like sitting in it like and not not even just the emotional scene like even outside of the emotion like there's plenty of things that happen between our highs and our lows that so Mm -hmm. often are left out of our cinema and it's like you know with, with, with short films we can't do it as much yes but like when you have a feature length like you you can have a scene or two that is a little bit slower paced and it's just kind of them like you know 
mundane. Wrapping their mind around things, but just doing mundane tasks, yeah. you know, like you know, you, going through a day. You bet in the feature, there's going to, I I have a wonderful beach scene that's going to take place on the ye old Belmont rocks. Scene. We're going to have the Belmont rocks scene. We're going to yeah. have, uh, I would love to have like a clothes shopping scene or like a cooking scene or like we're dancing in the living room in our underwear scene, you know, like yes. very human things. And mm-hmm. I think that's, I find, I find today a lot of cinema that is that is usually directed by women will have more of those elements you know like mm-hmm. i'll look at i just finished watching like loki recently right <laughs> i i oh, you don't agree uh so okay mm-hmm. this is like an own it's on separate episode eventually mm-hmm. um I was very disappointed in Loki for a number of reasons. Really? Um, number one, it's full on trans erasure. Mm. Point blank period. Like Loki is a genderqueer individual who at will and very comfortably switches their body and gender to fit the expression that they feel in that moment. And they mm-hmm. took that and perverted it. They said, no, this is a separate person that you're going to fall in love with mm-hmm. because they wanted to have this like narcissism storyline. And, mm-hmm. and they did, and they didn't, they also didn't know how to write themselves out of the corner that they had made with Loki mm-hmm. because so many different people have handled that character yes. so True. vastly differently throughout the MCU's uh, film history that they didn't know how to consolidate that and make this a person who can mm-hmm. be this fluid and who can be this nuanced. Right. And so like that was super frustrated and othering because like you took this character who is representation and is supposed to be representation. Mm-hmm. And not only did you erase their, their trans identity you also like barely nodded to their bisexuality like that line is a fucking throw away and we're supposed to be happy with it and i'm like no like you had him get drunk in that same scene you could have just had him make out with one of the male patrons if you wanted to give us representation no you make some really good points some i didn't even like fully consider because usually when because when i'm watching it i'm watching it from very much like this filmmaker perspective yeah right and like from a cinematography aspect and from like oh yeah from from that aspect it's it's (laughs) beautiful like it's shot it's shot Mm -hmm. beautifully but even outside of like loki's trans identity like without spoiling the finale yeah uh, without spoiling it like i was super disappointed Mm. um like loki is one of the is one of the properties that i was the most excited for um Mm. coming out on disney plus but i was honestly the most disappointed in it Mm. um especially because of the story that they were telling like they were Mm -hmm. it was something that was intriguing Mm -hmm. but it they failed to grab me. Like I was not waiting for the next episode. I was not, you know, and this was a story that they very much could have done that with. Mm -hmm. And then to reveal the character that you're revealing at the end. Mm -hmm. And it basically just be this whole episode of people sitting in offices talking. Like, <laughs> True. You make a good point. You make a good point. Because <laughs> when I was watching it, I was really enjoying the way the dialogue was working. Yes. And the way the characters were working and sort of the way they were talking with each other. That was kind of the thing mm-hmm. that I was mainly paying attention to in it. Because it's like, sure, it's like, I'm only going to expect so much from a Marvel fucking thing, right? Right. Because I think, I think all your frustrations and critiques are super accurate and valid 
solid for it. I completely agree with you. It's like thinking about it, I'm like, oh yeah, shit, you're totally right. And <laughs> I, I still will give it some credit in terms of like the way the dialogue worked and how mm-hmm. and how the characters spoke with each other because that was such a um I I didn't even know it was directed by a woman, but by the way that was done, I was like, this is done by a woman, isn't it? And at the end yeah. it was. And it's because yeah. of how there's more attention paid to the like just human element for it. And I don't want to just say like only women can do this or whatever, but just like it's something that at least there's more like women or femme-oriented mm-hmm. people coming into film that it's not just a patriarchally, you know, masculinely dominated sort of thing that we can kind of bring that other lens of like it's okay to humanize moments you know i think of like in black window i was very disappointed in in black widow it was still like a fun movie i still haven't seen that one like uh, okay shit i don't i don't want to spoil this one you're okay like here's the here's the thing like i have i have gleaned like eventually i will watch it because like I have to because people are going to always ask my opinion about it because yeah. if you look at my wall, like <laughs> I'm expected to have opinions about right. everything. Comics. Right, 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 right. Um, but for me, like number one, I know that they are completely like cannibalizing Black Widow's history and storylines. And and like, that's the thing is like, I'm somebody that comes into it with a lot of like comic based knowledge. Yeah. And I recognize that these are their own properties, but the reason people are coming to see these properties is because they're excited to see the the characters that they know. So you can take the characters that they know and like magnify and diminish different aspects of them. And you can tell different stories with them, but they shouldn't be coming in here and seeing a wholly different character that you just slapped the same name on. Yeah. I mean, it literally was edited together like three films into one. It was insane. There is this, the one scene that I liked in it, it is my favorite scene. And it happened to be a scene where Black Widow and another character were driving in a car. And this other character is also a woman. And they're driving in a car. And this other character is talking about how much she loves her vest because it has pockets. And it's yeah. like, it's just like, it's it's honestly, it is a delightful scene. I really enjoyed it because I could really relate to it being a woman. Right. And, um, <laughs> and, but it was just like, that was one of my favorite moments in it because it it was like a humanizing moment and it felt like, oh yes, these are characters that are that are people and it's not just superhero-y, blah, 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 a lot of action. So because mm-hmm. the film was a lot of, you know, had a lot of really great action in it, but that's yeah. kind of like it's kind of all it was. But um, yeah, but like it's still just those those types of moments that um I feel were in a lot more older films honestly yeah. and i think back and i and i think of the movies that i've watched growing up i watched shit like the agony and the ecstasy right which is some old charlton heston thing and it's like mm. it's a whole critique on the catholic church done in like the 50s you know so it's pretty heady for its time it's got some problems in it yeah but like hey for the 50s i'm gonna give it some fucking credit it was also gorgeous too it was a beautiful beautiful cinematography one of my favorite films as a 10 year old uh, it was great and it was just oh, about michelangelo kind of sticking it to the pope in in the yeah. vatican and saying like fuck you i'm gonna make art i'm gonna make naked people whatever fuck you and no and like the thing that I love <laughs> is that the depictions of Jesus that mm-hmm. he did are all his male lover. Like, yes. <laughs> it's just an Italian twink. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh. Uh, it cracks me up. I love it. But it's also like those kinds of movies are just stuff. Um, I remember I grew up watching a lot of like epic musicals from the 50s and stuff Mm. like that and i watched stuff from i love the gritty weird shit from the 70s like the holy mountain pink flamingos like you know all those crazy fucking things oh yeah oh Oh, yeah and and i I just love 
I love that kind of shit. Yeah, and I've always loved old film too. And like, you know, it, you know, there are aspects of it that I have to be like, oh God, that's right. (laughs) But like, you know, and which is why I gravitate more towards like Marilyn Monroe films because like Marilyn Monroe is somebody who is like, a vehement anti-racist and like so like most of the time the like racism that exists in a Marilyn Monroe movie is that there's just not black people there which is still not good yeah we're not saying that that's like a good thing at all but like you know that is you know that was what she was able to do that's the way that she was able to be an ally is that she was like I don't want to do films that you know belittle black people exactly um but like the another thing that I love about old films is some of the visual gags that we just don't get anymore because like today serious movies are very serious and when they do do visual gags it's it's almost slapstick yeah but like there's a moment in some like it hot where and i don't know if you're familiar with some like it hot of course i am okay (laughs) but there's there's a moment in some like it hot where the where this all-female band is like first arriving and they're Mm -hmm. getting off and like getting up into this a resort hotel whatever it is and there's a line of rocking chairs with older men just sitting in them in the front porch and as the women go by you see all of the men lower their newspaper and watch them go up all at the same time (laughs) and so it's just these visual gags that that they're funny and we don't get those anymore exactly and a lot of modern films are all about having this very clean and crisp aesthetic and also mm-hmm. just kind of like boring looking, I hate to say, or just like, or just like hyper VFX, you know, yeah. like I'm looking at, so I'm looking at like, you know, the new Dune movie that's coming out and that look like, looks kind of cool or whatever, but like the color grading on it, it looks just like gray and dirt brown and i go back to lynch's dune which is kind of a hot mess but like fuck it's fun to watch and it's like got this great baked aesthetic of just like these colors and it's just like out there and it's a way more enjoyable film even though like and and david lynch is one of my favorite directors i love how he has just such a fuck you attitude about his work it's great he's like no i'm not going to explain shit to you make your own reason for things fuck you you know i love that um but like in the making of dune i remember he regretted that the studio actually really fucked with the film and he wasn't able to have like the final cut as the director Mm -hmm. and really just trashed it in a lot of ways that he didn't intend um and i just think about like films especially from like the 70s and the 80s and the way they looked even even i just watched risky business recently it's probably one of the best edited films i've ever watched honestly the pacing was great the editing was incredible a lot of the framing for the cinematography was great and but it helps that it was all shot on film of course because that's a totally different look and aesthetic but like i find a lot of movies today they feel commercialized to me they Mm -hmm. feel depersonalized they feel corporatized they feel just like they're they're just about like looking good instead of looking meaningful or having character you know like for that is that is one thing like i like and like i'm not i'm not gonna sit here and champion marvel at all right but specifically like when we're looking at like cinematography and shots meaning something yeah like when you look at guardians of the galaxy 2 like look at the scene with gamora sitting like there's a scene where she's literally just sitting by herself in this desert and it's this beautiful shot and it's can like it's almost completely cgi because yeah. like they're in fucking space right but it's this beautiful rule of thirds shot mm-hmm. of her like sitting in this like arid area and there's this l- little plant next to her and she's just 
trying to think. Her and Peter have just had a fight and she is just trying to think about like what everything means and 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 all of that and so she's just like having this overwhelmed moment she's trying to sit alone and this little plant is beside her just (laughs) (laughs) and like that's the only sound that we get and it's just her sitting there for a minute trying to think and then in her frustration she whips out her sword and cuts the cuts the shit off yeah and it's and like that's such a good shot because like that's something that normally wouldn't bother her and so like you get a lot about what she's going through just in this shot yeah i mean fuck that's the point of cinema is that you're showing a story you're not you're not having the characters speak it per se you know cinema is a visual medium it's about you know show don't tell man like you want to have as as little talking and as editing as possible the more that you can just let an image speak for itself the better Mm -hmm. you know and that's like I, I when talking about this is kind of maybe more to help sell Rent Boy, right? <laughs> the general aesthetic for how it's shot, you know, I have characters coming in and out of frame and we and we hang on them as their back is to us and they're leaving, you know, and it's like this kind of just like yummy moments like that, but also like the color grading, the aesthetic. I want it to look like a baked 70s film, you know what I mean? I want it yes. to look like, you know, and I want I'd like oh okay. <laughs> like with uh, I'll say a good inspiration for the visual aesthetic is Taxi Driver. And now I know oh, Taxi okay. Driver is a very, you know, can be a very film bro-y type of film. Um, I do not polarizing. think it's... Polarizing. It's, it's, it's definitely very, polarizing yeah, it's in polarizing. the film community. <laughs> it is. It really is. I definitely don't think it's Scorsese's best. Um, I no. personally really love After Hours. If you've ever seen that, I totally suggest I totally suggest it. It's, it's great. It's, I think, one of his better films. Um, it's, it's way lesser known, but at least just the visual aesthetic in terms of the grime and the grit how baked it fucking looks you know and the dark lighting and it's it's a neo-noir and then of course you have um uh what is it it's um bernstein or bernstein Yes, it, Howard Bernstein. Or, so, or uh, Bernard Herman, my bad. Bernard oh. Herman's the composer. It's um, versus the um, conductor. Uh, oh, Bernard yeah, yeah. Herman, who is just like the fucking king of cinematic film scores, doing so many Alfred Hitchcock's films, doing Citizen Kane, doing shit for Scorsese. Like, you know, Bernard Herman, the score in that film, like, not only do I want Rempoy to kind of have this look that feels like Taxi Driver, where you just feel like you're in some gritting, gritty otherworldly place i do not want rent boy to feel like it was made in 2021 i want rent boy no. to feel like it is of its era yeah. you know and but then the music for it it literally inspired by a palette of the early 80s in terms of sound so you have stuff mm-hmm. like frankie you have stuff like wham you have those really cool synths yeah. but it but told in a way as if bernard herman was writing it for you if that makes sense so you can imagine yeah. that kind of soundtrack but if it was just with an 80s kind of palette early 80s we're not talking like stranger things palette where it's all spacey and galactic we're talking like those still late 70s synths. we're talking those deep atmospheric bass synths. you know stuff yeah. that really feels otherworldly that feels like it is from that era and um and my partner is actually the composer for the film noah because he's he's brilliant with music and he's 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 so good at it it's amazing what he'll kind of come up with an idea of something and i'm like holy shit how'd you fucking do that you know here i am the band nerd but i can't write music for shit and here's noah just like making bleep bloop magic and it's it's great and we're 
uh, one of the one of the melodies uh, for the actually Williams theme. I wrote the melody myself, uh, but then Noah took it and made it into like a lullaby instead. And mm. then it ends up it's and it's going to end up being the the theme that's used or sort of the leitmotif that's used when Simon and William kiss in the film. And it's beautiful and it's going to be echoed at the end and and all this stuff, you know, so it's like it's yeah. it's been a great process. So there's there's a lot of thought that has gone into every step of this film in terms of even the names of the characters like I'll yeah. just, this is just more rempoy content to throw in here real quick uh, besides all, all of the all of the behind the scenes behind the scenes secrets but like, <laughs> the characters are named a specific way the name simon means to listen mm-hmm. the name william means to guide and the name richard means to conquer mm-hmm. and in those is the function of each character like they're named that way not just because it's like oh i like the name simon you know i I, whatever i mean it's more everything is very intentional yeah everything's very intentional and it's the kind of film that i would encourage people whenever you watch it i i i love working in subtlety i like to call myself a bit of a growing master in subtlety because i like to put a lot of my shit into the details you know what comes from the twitch of the eye and the way a cigarette's being held or why this is put there and when do they select that or look there and it's like you know think mm-hmm. think in depth about how people work and move in body language so i'm a big people watcher type person I oh yeah people and i studied a lot of semiotics in college and and symbolism i'm big i'm a big fucking symbolism person so it's like try try to catch and see what symbolisms in the film because i guarantee there's stuff in there that i didn't even intend to make happen but it's in there you know and i encourage people to go fucking like you know this is my two hour long theory video on rent boy this theme that theme whatever you know like i encourage that please rip it apart you know like really get in there because that's sort of the point of the film is that like i'm not looking to make some perfect piece of representation so to speak although granted the entire crew on this film was like i think majority of people working on my film were people of color queer non-binary whatever like there was hardly a a cis white man on this film honestly (laughs) (laughs) except for the ones in front of the camera except for the ones in front of the camera those three those are the ones those whatever right but it's even you gotta have a you gotta have a couple you gotta have a couple little macadamia nut you gotta have your tokens well well, white chocolate chip Uh, <laughs> that's right but regardless it was like another reason why this film was so good is just how diverse my crew was and i was mm-hmm. wanting to have a very diverse crew i originally my original producer i was worried about having a crew that wasn't diverse and i'm like fuck i don't want that i, I want like all walks of life on this film yeah. and i want to give people of all walks of life a chance to be a part of this and not just like some random privileged few because this just happened to be the people well, you know producer you know yeah. it's like i i i was able to go through and make a lot of my own connections and bring together a super diverse crew i love that that all contributed to making the film better especially because when especially because like we're looking so specifically at what cis white men and the way masculinity affects them and the way that they wield it having people outside of that experience is so important because cis white men whether they are heterosexual or gay hold so much power over literally every other group and like all of us have interactions with them and all of us like 
have opinions and like to some degree know how mm-hmm. that shit shakes out and how it works and why yeah. it works the way that it does. The main people who don't understand the way that cis white men work are cis white men. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that's and that's exactly what Rent Boy is addressing. Rent Boy is for that cis white male gay. You know, it is. Mm-hmm. It just is for that cis white male. And it, and it's also for all of us as queer people to look at and be able to. to sort of just it's 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 really for everyone but who i'm trying to talk to and kind of really get at subliminally is the white cis male of any mm-hmm. sexual orientation who because it's about to be able system. to sit there and be like oh yes oh. And, 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 and in a way and in a way that doesn't make them automatically feel like they are the villain right in a way right. that makes them feel like shit this does hurt me too this does yeah. hurt me which i think is the biggest thing i think that is the biggest thing what is so polarizing about like you know modern critiques of like the patriarchy and stuff like that and feminism is people outright wholly entirely blanket stating like villainizing men and I, mm-hmm. I get this sentiment i feel it i fucking feel it but it's also at the end of the day when it comes down to making progress and making change it's like how do people learn how do children learn you got you you, you do it with care and you do it mm-hmm. with compassion and it's and you can't expect everyone to do that no and like and and not everybody has the space for it and it's not always warranted and i will yes. say that like the studies literally show there are two main ways that people learn and adjust their behavior one is through shaming that behavior mm-hmm. and so you know when they're doing disgusting things saying disgusting things just perpetrating a system and like being about it like Mm -hmm. shame them but also and a little bit unfortunately the only other thing that like makes genuine lasting change in people is interpersonal relationships and personal connection to people outside of like inside of that group that they Mm -hmm. had the negative associations with Mm -hmm. so like it does sort of like put the otis on you know that marginalized group to then mm-hmm. okay well, i have to be nice to you so you'll right. you'll think i'm a good one so you'll <laughs> learn worth respecting and but like then having media like this that mm-hmm. shines lights on that starts that conversation it yeah. allows it allows people to be like i really do not have the spoons to talk to you about like why what you're doing is problematic go watch this ted talk go watch rent boy go do yeah, this and exactly because I'm someone that has no problem sort of carrying that spoon and shoving mm-hmm. it in the baby's mouth and saying like, here you fucking go eat your medicine, mm-hmm. you know, eat your beans, green beans, whatever. Like, yeah, you know, I have no problem doing that because I think as like a white cis woman or whatever, just as a white woman, like fucking white men are easy for me to handle. I mean, right, and you're the only, you are a member of the only group that can weaponize their oppression. Exactly. Exactly. So it's like, I, I, and so I have no problem taking up that kind of a mantle and sort of like helping out communities that are more marginalized than I am to be Mm -hmm. able to, to be able to face this situation because, because I'm so adjacent to it myself, it's going to be easier to hear it coming from someone like me that they could actually almost fully relate to than someone who's completely not that because, because some, because somebody that you completely can't relate to coming at you and saying this or that or attacking you or whatever, like no matter what, you're going to go on the defensive, but when you have somebody, it's almost like a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? You have somebody that you can really relate to and or somebody that you feel safer with that it feels like a safe space for you that looks yeah. like you talks like you like that's going to help change a lot. Cause like what you said, it's, it's, it's 
kind change through interpersonal communications. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that means it is people actively in your own circle. And it's, and so that's really where the change can happen. And that's a big part of Rempway is that it's going to give people dialogue. It's going to give people language. That's why I think a lot of, honestly, when it comes to racism and like white people and talking about white privilege, I think one of the biggest reasons why we have a hard time dealing with it and talking about it is that we don't have words for it. We don't have a language for it. Right. It's like, it's like, how do, how do I even say this? How do I even talk about it? Well, and I mean, and and the thing is, is like, we have language for it, but like, they don't want to hear it because it's not kind. It's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not, you know, something and like not being I won't say that it's not kind. It's not nice. Yeah. There is a difference between niceness and kindness. Right. Like kindness is something that lives in all of us and something that we should be giving to ourselves and other people in equal measure until that they, until they prove that they do not deserve that. Right. And, but niceness is all tied back. Niceness is performance. Niceness is tied back into respectability politics and fuck respectability politics. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sick of it. Yeah. And it's like, and like, the, but, and, and let me tell you, dear listeners, like if you're somebody from a background other than white, white people don't just put niceness and respectability politics on the people outside like it's in your own homes i oh my, my god <laughs> i was not allowed like growing like it's it's not until i have reached adulthood that i have finally been able to and like in the past year or two mm-hmm. that i have finally been able to be having conversations and get impassioned and when somebody's like why are you yelling why are you yelling at me i'm not yelling at you it is okay for the emotion that i feel about this to be coming through in my voice yeah like and that's the thing is like so many people you know especially when they can't relate to the experience when there's emotion tied to the voice are like oh 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 why is this at me it's not at you right I, it's not about you <laughs> it's not like depersonalize it and yeah. then like go and like think about why you think it's about you like if mm-hmm. it if it hurt you why exactly you know and i think God, I think we could go on for three more hours, but I think <laughs> I think the best thing to do is to let our dear listeners know once again, where can they find you? Where can they support you? Yes. What can they do? So our socials, um, let's see, for Facebook and Instagram, you're going to be looking at Rent Boy Short Film. Uh, TikTok, it's just Rent Boy Film. There's rentboyfilm.com. Um, and then the Indiegogo page is that forward slash rent dash boy. And uh, I'm trying to think if there's any other spots for it. But yeah, if you're in the Chicago area, keep an eye out for some, you know, bar specials up in the North Halstead area and see if there's, you know, a little Rent Boy drink out there in the next month or two. So we'll <laughs> see. We'll see what happens with it. But any support is greatly appreciated. Again, a dollar, a dollar helps. Like I, I I know you can spare it. I could spare it. Come on. Oh yeah. Come on, <laughs> dear listener. And as always for me, dear listener, you can find me at AU Plated Garbage if you really, really want to talk to me, but you can find the podcast Twitter at Lex Stop Talking. Uh, you can find me on TikTok under at Lex Lux. That is L-E-X-L-U-X-E. You are welcome to join us over on the Novi Discord where we will continue the conversation in the Lex Talk About It channels. Um, and as always, thank you for joining us. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. 
and never forget your worth.